Hailing frequencies are open, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight uh, on Clear Skies, our Star Trek live play uh, here on Q Times. Uh, we are coming back uh, after last week. Uh, before we begin tonight, obviously, I want to give everyone a big thank you for your patience. Um, last week was very difficult for all of us. Um, it remains difficult. Um, uh, just to say a, a quick word, uh, we, we are going to miss Grant so much. He was, a, he was a really good friend to a few of us here in the cast. Uh, I know Bonnie and you in particular were very close to him. Um, uh, we, we, his, his presence is going to be eternally missed. So um, just all of our love to his family and the other friends in the community. And thank you again to the Ox crew and everybody who joined us last week, who was patient with us while we worked through that. So we can go ahead and jump into our announcements for the show tonight. So um, before we begin, we have an announcement for Gen Con, don't we? Because uh, we got something coming up for Gen Con. We got on a Gen Con panel, y'all. Now, this, you guys, you guys may have heard me talk about the Gen Con panel that I'm on about the IP. That's not the one we're talking about. We're actually talking about a Streampunks panel. Um, so we're working through the details of it right now. But if I remember correctly, I do believe it is a game of clear skies and blood of the void it is a crossover game so you're going to be seeing cast members of blood of the void and uh clear skies playing together in a two-hour special episode for our gen con you will be able to find that on the gen con website and of course we'll be blasting it out over socials this week to give everyone a heads up so stay tuned for that we're really excited that we finally get to do something like this for gen con um we will be there in spirit um please bear with us because uh the time for the panel is going to be at 10 a.m. for our game. That's going to be 7 a.m. our time. Oh my God. Um, uh, oops. Um, <clears throat> there's that uh, whole time thing, that goddamn wibbly wobbly time thing. So. Oh, are time shenanigans not working out for you now, Eric? They're not, are they're they not, not? working out for me so much. It was inevitable they were going to turn against me. It was inevitable. So, Live by the time shenanigans. Die by the time shenanigans. Um, uh, so that was the big announcement. Really early. What's that? More, more like wake up really early for the time shake. Oh, God. God, I just, uh, you know, I thought D&D in a castle was rough. Oh, man. Let's wake up and be ready to run a crossover game for Gen Con at 7 a.m. Uh, it's all right. I, I I'm sure the whole crew on that game will be incredibly restrained and disciplined throughout the episode. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone is going to be chill as F. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, so we'll, uh, I already have plans for what the game is going to be. I, I think y'all are going to get a kick out of it. Uh, Aki had made a suggestion and it was kind of a joke suggestion and oh God, no, I'm going to do it. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it except for it's going to be the Clear Skies crew and Blood of the Void and on Risa. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into our next announcement. Uh, what do we got for you, Xander? Yeah, speaking of conventions, uh, this weekend we've got STCC at home, and so on Thursday uh, I have a rebroadcast of uh, something called the Lost Odyssey Book of Knowledge, which was a theater uh, live show I did with the DM Deborah Ann Wall. Uh, they're going to be broadcasting that on Thursday, and we're having a Q&A panel afterwards. Then on Saturday you can catch Bonnie and I uh, streaming some uh, first edition Dungeons & Dragons with Dungeon oh. Master Luke Gygax. Uh, we're taking on the Tomb of Horrors in our best try to speed run. 
Uh, so that'll be on Saturday, and all of these will be on the Legion M channel and SDCC at home. Why do you do this to yourself? Uh, we try. For the contact. <laughs> before it was my first time and i was so confused oh, man. <laughs> you two so willingly suffer for your audience is commendable <laughs> well done well done um all right do we have and, anything else? Oh, yeah. Xander, we also have another gen con panel yes that we did today yes that we will have I more information on later <laughs> yep we'll do that Oh, I missed you guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, Aki. And in more additional news about Gen Con, I will also be on two more panels, when, one with Hunter's Entertainment, actually both of them with Hunter's Entertainment. Uh, I'll be doing a panel, a creator's panel with them, as well as playing a game. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, and that's I'll have more information about Carbon, right? Uh, the, the first one is going to be a bunch of the different creators. We're going to be doing some sort of panel about that. I don't have all of the information about it yet, but I will be releasing that as it comes. And then um, I'm actually going to be uh, playing in a game, I believe, that's being run by Knox. So uh, Scabby Rooster Crew is going to be uh, doing some collaboration with uh, Hunters, I believe. So I'm going to be working with him, too. So, yeah. All right. Be fun. Right My full, um... I have a whole weekend. <laughs> Right on. And uh, Rave, I believe you had an announcement. No, you didn't. I just, it's just, you never see anything in the announcement. So I just had to. <laughs> Nightmare. Oh, Rindy, I have, I have an announcement that I think you'll like. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Can we just appreciate, though, that suddenly Rave felt like an actor who didn't know their lines and was like, what? I have a what? <laughs> Rindy, I noticed something today that I think that you would have, if you'd seen it, you would have had announcement for. Ooh. We have another fanfic. In our crib of our own. <gasps> I saw it and I was like, oh, has Ravity seen this? And I forgot to text you about it. Yeah. There's another fanfic for Clear Skies. And there you are. There are oh, a number of uh, them now. Many with quite considerable literary merit. Not that, of course, we would ever investigate or comment on such things. <laughs> um, uh, before we jump into tonight's episode tonight, the conversation has been going around a lot among the crew, and I thought I would share this with my players tonight as well. But uh, having discussions uh, over the past week or so with the League of Whimsy and just the greater Stream Pugs fandom, it seems like the fandom is content on referring to itself here henceforth as simply the Ox crew. Um, no matter what game we play, no matter what we're doing, um, the fandom seems to, uh, they're on this ship, y'all. <laughs> ox every, crew forever. <laughs> every world and universe needs an ox crew. Yeah. So our fellow crewmates joining us tonight for this episode of Clear Skies. With that being said, I think it's time to jump into tonight's episode. Um, yes, Sam. I'm excited. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I had announcements that were actual announcements, and then I forgot because I got excited. Oh no, because you got excited. <laughs> okay, we reserve space at the break if uh, Samlet remembers the announcements. I remember what it was. It was just that I was supposed to say that before I got excited, and then in the ah. middle of being excited, I was like, wait, no, I was supposed to say that Aki and I are doing a live show for New Pantheon, uh, which is the demigods powered by the apocalypse game that we play for saving throw show and we're going to be having a live show at gen con and there will be information all on that 
on the Twitters, and you can go check out a game where, yeah, we actually play demigods. It does what it says on the tin, and you can support uh, indie indie publisher Jason Mills, uh, my buddy from Friday Fly Day, and that is itself also quite exciting. So you see my dilemma, sir. <laughs> Thank you, gentle audience, for bearing with us as we stumble through our announcements today. And thank you uh, for the we get the, we get the assigned we get the excited send off now. So we can go ahead and start tonight's episode of Clear Skies. As we uh, come back from uh, our credits, uh, there is consensus, but now we can start playing. So let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode um, of Clear Skies. Uh, when we last left off, some pretty big revelations took place, particularly in terms of the debriefing that the command crew of the USS Ross received after having returned from their most recent mission. A mission that took them into the heart of intrigue and violence and capturing an old quarry of Captain Azri's soul. This took place in the Yukavar system. The planet was Yukani. This was a planet that had been sought after by the Federation and interstellar authorities in general, planetary governments across the quadrant, because it is a legendary pirate haven that had never been discovered before. Um, now, returning from that debrief and the whole incident with the Changeling and the Jim Hadar and everything that took place, you were actually finally able to get some answers as to what's going on and why there was so much cloak and dagger. The big reveals in that were that the Federation was indeed engaged in secret negotiations with the Dominion in order to get around outing... They wanted to very quietly acquire technology that the Dominion used during the war that helped them detect cloaked vessels. The Dominion, for those who might remember, were particularly good at sniffing out cloaked ships. The Federation, with an agreement from founder Odo, who had reached out, made a very quiet deal to get an operative in and retrieve a changeling and get them back. Now, the, the reason why this happened apparently is because the Federation has caught on that the faction split between major parties and the Romulan Star Empire is taking that entire region of space, that entire swath of, of space onto the brink of civil war. There are those who are loyal 
to the traditional Romulan star empire. And then there are those who have begun to swear loyalty to Admiral Sila, who has assumed, according to Starfleet intelligence, is now playing a much larger role in the Tal Shiar. Um, this took place, of course, after the death of Praetor Shinzon. There has been a power vacuum ever since the incident uh, with Praetor Shinzon. And ever since then, the Romulan Empire seems to be struggling to discover who they are planning to be, what kind of people they will be for the next chapter of their history. Traditionalists and forward thinkers are currently at war with each other, and this is starting to spill over to the borders, and the Federation has been tracking that. To make matters even worse, it would appear that intelligence has come down the line that the Romulans may have uncovered technology that was thought long lost to time. Technology that would allow them to equip a warbird with the ability to fire while cloaked. This has only been seen once before, and this was during the Kittermer Accords incident with the USS Enterprise and the USS Excelsior. When General Chang, one of the members of the conspiracy, almost caused the complete breakdown in negotiations and was responsible, one of the architects for assassinating the High Chancellor. By the way, apologize for all the spoilers you're getting, Sam, but you're gonna love it, it's a great movie. Um, <laughs> so, if this is all true, the Federation has been slowly making moves. They couldn't talk about this, obviously, because the Treaty of Bajor states that no one from the Dominion can enter into the Alpha or Beta Quadrants without explicit written permission from all three major governments. That would out the Federation for what it was trying to do. So it went through back channels, and apparently Imperial intelligence of the Klingon Empire was involved. So they knew about it as well. Admiral Nollis Ree offered personal apologies and offered up information that was outside of your purview, stating that it could cost him his career if anybody finds out what he told you. Um, he has also stated that the admiral that they believe that is in charge of this warbird and the one that you encountered during your mission in the Pirate Haven is named Admiral Mindak. Now, the Federation has had encounters with Admiral Mindak before, once before in particular, when they retrieved a Vulcan ambassador in what was meant to be supposedly a negotiation, a major negotiation between the Romulan Empire and the Federation. But as it turns out, this high-ranking Vulcan ambassador was in fact a Romulan, and Admiral Mindak was responsible for their extraction. You can actually see this in the episode Data's Day. Um, this was one of the most damaging breaches of Starfleet intelligence in the history of the Federation. They cannot calculate how much damage was done to Starfleet intelligence because of this breach. But it was enough that it locked down the Federation and caused a lot of problems. Mindak has apparently reappeared. And now, if Mindak is in command of a warbird that has this new technology, it could explain and very much conclusively seems to explain who it is that has been tracking the Ross. And Admiral Mindak himself has appeared to you in a hollow message demanding that you hand over Sorex, also known as Dr. Wellix. You played dumb. And he levied a threat that he was going to blow the Ross out of the stars. All of this debriefing has finally revealed what has been going on. 
You received a personal apology from Re. He pointed out that because you're not in intelligence anymore, you don't get to you don't get to know how the game's being played. You're an asset. However, Admiral April Ebert has pulled rank, went right up the chain of command, and approved and got approved the USS Ross to never be pulled in for intelligence operations again. You guys are going to be moving off of that board until Captain Azari Sul said, oh, one last thing. Um, that would bring us up to speed, except for one little tiny piece of information that needs to be put out there. Um, aside from some of the revelations that we've gotten from about Commander Exio and the technology that was used to build Commander Exio, um, there is also the revelation that Commander that Admiral Ree revealed to you that he also became aware towards the beginning of the operation of the forged signature of Admiral Janeway to authorize this mission to begin with. Admiral Janeway, by the way, at this point, has been brought into this investigation. If you've watched Voyager, you can probably imagine how unhappy Catherine Janeway gets when people mess with her and someone forging orders on a, a, a clandestine mission like this one has Catherine Janeway a little riled. Um, so Rhea is dealing with that right now. Starfleet Intelligence is um, getting getting the eye of Sauron has turned onto the Starfleet intelligence and committees, the, the, the Federation council is pretty much demanding answers right now. So Ree, Ree's on the hot seat, but the reveal of course, that he also was not aware of the forged signature until it was done. Even though the mission was in the interest of the Federation has raised a lot of questions and he has expressed his concerns too, kind of hinting without saying as much over subspace that he believes there's another player in this game, probably Federation, but another player in this game. We are starting tonight after the USS Ross has been given two weeks to until it needs to report to duty. Two weeks until it needs to report to duty back at Narendra Station in the Shackleton Expanse. Um, until that time, um, as Spock said in Star Trek II, you may indulge yourself. You have two weeks to do as you see fit with your Ross-class starship. After everything the crew has been through, Captain Sull has passed down the message through Admiral, uh, through uh, Yeoman uh, uh, Asmi. Asmi Shanto has passed down the message to the rest of the Ox crew that until further notice, the USS Ross is now considered on, on official shore leave. And while there is no disembarking from the, from the starship, uh, the USS Ross, um, and at least not until after you all leave Starbase 105, um, for the next two weeks, until otherwise stated, until Azri basically calls you all back to duty, the crew has been ordered to get some R&R and to enjoy themselves. <laughs> to get some recreation time in. Um, this has all just happened in the past 24 hours. We begin tonight's game shortly after you have all returned to the ship and had your discussions. Um, because this particular episode, Who We Are, part two, 
is beginning in a place where there's a lot of player agency. I'm going to open this episode up with you all telling me who would like to take a scene right now. What's going on? Tell me what's going on on board the USS Ross. What's the crew up to now that it's been given this latitude for two weeks? I have something. Yes. Um, what's Chief Tech up to? Chief Tech uh, has been just focused on work, 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 and has had self, like a little time for recreation, um, and has used his holodeck lab uh, now in a more recreational uh, capacity, and has loaded up a like simulation video game. It's like Asteroids, but a virtual <laughs> reality type of thing. So you're actually in and piloting. Um, and as actually uh, extended an invitation to uh, Captain Sell uh, to to join Tech for some off gaming, for some gaming. <laughs> Amazing. Sell, um, okay. Azuri will not refuse. Sorry, did Tech extend it? Uh, it was to Azuri. <laughs> perfect. Then uh, in so doing, Azuri will uh, join you very happily. What is a gaming check in this? Never mind, we're going to find out. I really want to know. You said it's like asteroids. So before I before we continue into the scene, I would just love to know, are we talking like Azri steps onto the holodeck and it's retro graphics, but yeah. 3D all around you? And that, that is trippy and I love it. It's like Tron meets Minecraft type of thing. So. Oh my God, I have a crush on tech right now. <laughs> um, well, okay. get in line, Campbell. <laughs> Actually, the as you step, step into the holodeck, you can see that uh, there's a suit, uh, like an avatar suit that's over tech. Uh, and it is blocky and square, like a Lego person type of thing. And it's just this um, like bright, violently blue uh, glowing suit. And you can see this like, a heads-up display that's in front of him, uh, and he's getting ready to get inside like a giant blue uh, little pod. I'm going to add to that. Um, as as the captain enters, of course, the, the holodeck doors just as it slides open, um, Captain, you see, of course, because this is a photonic simulation on the holodeck, it's an odd effect that immediately envelops you, because as you step in, the negative space that is filled is purposely treated like the black part of the screen in a video game. So as you enter, there is a light shining upon you coming from nowhere that causes your uniform to glow slightly. Uh, not only that, but sticking out of the darkness, literally just a pair of legs popping out of what looks like a black void, swaying back and forth. And then it, it's a little off-putting because on top of seeing what you're seeing with Chief Tech as they're getting into the sphere, um, you just hear this sort of muffled voice and two legs sticking out right in front of you on the ground with feet just kind of doing this, waving back and forth. Poke, poke. <laughs> There's a jerking motion and a pause and then shuffling as uh, you see um, Incendari push themselves out from what looks like a holodeck console that she was working on but is still being incorporated into the program simulation. So this Andorian woman just emerges from the bottom and looks up at you and goes, oh, uh, I guess it's starting. I didn't mean to interrupt, honestly. I weren't, wasn't sure whether you were part of the simulation or not. Not. Uh, not, no, I, I, uh, 
the chief has tried to get me to test this with him, and I threw up. She gets up and slides the panel back on, and you see it go, immediately becomes part of this eerie, void-like area around you. And of course, using the force field technology to simulate space, you see as that panel vanishes into the black void, she waves her hand in front of her, and it's not touching anything. She goes, okay, I think we're good. Um, I hope so. You don't, uh, Captain, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but you don't get disoriented easily, do you? I'm sure I only ask, Captain, because I've got these, and this disoriented me. So, anyway, the, the good news is, is if you throw up into the void, no one sees it. So, you should be good there, Captain. Ah, yes. Ah, Captain! Ah! Pardon me. Chief. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think you would actually show. Anson, you're free to go this time. Thank you, sir. Yeah, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, you just see the silhouette of this Andorian ensign happily leaving the holodeck. (laughs) Almost like a a, a skip in her step as she disappears behind the arch and the doors close. See if the junior officer's well-trained. Yeah, well, you (laughs) gotta keep him in line. (laughs) It's a good look on you, nonetheless. Thanks, Ashley. It's it's good to see you, you know, relaxing. And you, Tech. So you up for this? I think I will find out, won't I? So Real, do uh, I what, get one of those? Yeah, what did you have for breakfast? Just asking. A bagel? Great. Is that wrong? Oh, no, I think that'll be great the second time. So go ahead and you can pop on a suit and hop into a pod. You can be literally any color that you want to. It's sort of freeform over here. Well, I look at the blue. I'm detecting a theme. I'm a creature of habit. (laughs) Uh, I think Sol will grab a pink one just for like a watermelon palette. (laughs) Let's just have fun. (laughs) So... Again, to emphasize, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever actually played Asteroid, Sam. I'm guessing this is very much like the original Atari look. Like, yeah, it's so, very so literally, like vibrant, multicolored, glowing, pixelated lines all around you. It, it is this. This is like low tech looking as hell, but it is of course in a virtual environment surrounding you. So when you select the pink one, Azri, what you're selecting is this vibrant neon electrical pink that seems to be flowing with light. It is just blazing around you. And as you slide into the sphere, it's it's almost like, you know, being inside of this, uh, like a, like an electrical, like, like globe that's kind of like shining all around you. And you immediately hear this, these retro sound effects begin to, um, begin to sound out all around you. From the, the capsule that we're in, it sort of expands out in a grid so that it's like a gyroscope type of thing. So you see uh, the sort of expanded ship um, loose mod modify type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And as uh, you, there are only like two buttons. It's like fire and, and go. And when you hit one or the other, it knocks your ship into that sort of orbit. And so as you just go along sort of firing at things, you can see that this blue outline of tech 
all of a sudden, as it's rotating and spinning around and shooting, there seems to be like this rainbow cube that's like, or rainbow bits of cubes that that drift out from it. Uh, and if you were to open comms, you would you would hear some interesting noises. I do. Oh, <laughs> that oh. lady. Go on. <laughs> Taste better the second time. <laughs> yeah, Captain Sol, it's there's a lot of drift. So you're literally getting caught in the gravitational pull of all these these shapes that are like jagged looking. You're guessing are supposed to represent asteroids. Also, you're in what is could be charitably described as a simulation of space, or at least probably what early uh 20 or maybe like late 20th century idea of what space may have looked like on the graphics vectors that they were using because it's literally just twinkling blocks of pixels that are floating around you um i, I saw something about this in a high school art history <laughs> lesson in san francisco ages ago like because this is from like the classical games era yes to, to put this is one of the most basic games but but you're beginning to see where the warnings were, Captain, because as you see tech spinning around above you, you notice that the physics of this game are unforgiving. As you begin to move, you move. You go hurtling in one direction, catching to the gravitational field of one of these objects, you're slung around it and sent thrown, spiraling into the next one. A quick jab on the controls is all it takes. I just wanna, I just, I wanna see I just want to see how Captain Saul handles. And Absolutely. I, I would love to. Uh, I have intuitions. They aren't good. They were circumspect about their capacity to keep food down for a reason. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to have you roll first, Captain Saul. Yes. What, so what kind of roll is this? Control mm -hmm. and con. Knew it. Felt it. And, Felt it in my mouth. Yes. And the difficulty of this. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. I, I, honestly, uh, the difficulty of this is probably going to be a base of two for right now. All right. We didn't go ahead. Yep. Um. So we're shooting things again. I have. Uh, neither I nor Azadi uh have played many classical games. Uh. But. We're shooting at things. So does ranged weaponry come into this? Yes. Um, They're like floating asteroids and, and other various things to yes, target. Yes, I would say your focus, yeah, I would say your focus comes into this. I mean, you notice from watching Tech as they're doing their, as they're doing their maneuvers, Tech just seems to be, ta -ta 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 -ta, like, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no aiming. Tech oh, is spray like, and pray. Yes, yes, spray and pray. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. All right, then let's go. Oh, hey, Azuri holds it down. Uh, that's two. That's okay. exactly two. Uh, tell me how Tech does. Yeah, and so you notice as you're watching him and you do get you get the game, like you with that role, like I'm kind of taking a bit of that, uh, <laughs> you understand the, there's this lack of control that is sort of freeing in that you just kind of have to go with the flow and fire at whatever without consequences and just go along for the ride. And you can really see Tech in a free state of just sort of this disassociation. There's uh, no possibility of control here and therefore there's nothing to grip into. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so there's this freedom that you see in this joy as he is vomiting, but it's like pixelated and- Joy vomit. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's rainbow fun vomit. Right. <laughs> but literally everything is out of control. <laughs> oh my god, this is totally an episode of Lower Decks. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just totally picturing tech like in their joy, just going yeah, as vomit. It's just yeah, yeah. yeah. Consider Lower Decks. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> All right. So this scene, uh, get, before we before we move forward, though, I want to know how Tech does. So I want Tech to roll yeah. Control Con. Oh yeah, gladly. Difficulty is two. <laughs> I'm not gonna add anything to it. Good. Good for you. Ooh, well, I got one success and a natural twenty. Oh, nice. love it. Um, something Tech, tech is having so much fun. <laughs> tech is having so much fun that he doesn't. He does not. He is not paying attention to the fact that he is swerving right into you at high speed, Captain Sol. Um, you, you, you hear it on the comm, and then you hear it approaching. It's that stereophonic sound of just as it gets closer and closer. And the impact on the side of your sphere sends you both spinning in circles. Um, Pixels flying and immediately there's this chirping sound as the computer registers a reset and you were violently stopped from spinning. <laughs> and um, that's when it goes for Saul. I was that gonna, is Bagel okay, Part 2 right you, then. It just, it's stop, pause. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and it marks almost angle for angle what we saw with Ren and the egg as <laughs> will, just leaves frame. I will, I will, for the sake of anybody in our audience, anybody here in our in our player sphere, I will red card this so I don't cause any, uh, oh, yeah, I won't I go into a description. Um, instead, I will just say the two of you simultaneously um, bond. <laughs> over over your inability to actually orient yourselves uh, at the speed in which this program does. Um, so let's cut to the end of the scene where the holodeck is currently powering down. We'll say it's been about 30 minutes of this madness. Mm -hmm. um, and, How many times uh, did it turn into bumper cars, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at a certain uh, point, like I think it became deliberate. It's like any game of, any game of old school Mario Kart always devolved into bumper cars. Like, we stopped trying to... Yeah. Um, up it's versus <laughs> yeah oh yeah so eventually as the program powers down the two of you find that your stomachs aren't in the best shape but um you broke a sweat and you definitely especially you tech there is i will go ahead and tell you there is a tension release here you're definitely feeling a little bit like this is the first time you've really gotten to exhale for a while and this is the first time in a while that I've seen my friend Azri as well. Right. Yeah, we've been work soul. We've been much too much soul and Lenatus, not nearly enough Azri in tech. Yeah. It's good to see you. You too. This was Both nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really hungry now, though. I'm fully empty. How? <laughs> I can go forever. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so tell me, what are we eating for lunch? Oh, well, I guess we gotta go down and find out. It's funny, it's fun to pick the replicator when you're dizzy. You just let it go. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Huh? In the star's hands be it, then. And Tech will sort of like 
walk dizzily at, out of the holodeck. <laughs> Turns out walking is also bumper cars. A little nervous. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, yeah. When you two leaving the holodeck, you do see uh, Insandari has returned and pauses when she sees the two of you walking out, and she goes, looking at the way you both are walking. She just goes, Oh no 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 no. <laughs> and looks away as almost like the sense memory of what it was like comes racing back to her and she goes no 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 <laughs> captain and she just looks down at you as she moves over and starts to run the cycles on the holodeck to reset it <laughs> am i looking green <laughs> you see you see that look that all of us give you when you pun where she just goes privileges of command she's got to say that <laughs> very very good captain very good <laughs> um, real quick, I want to cut down to sickbay real quick. Um, McCrell, sitting at your desk. Yes. Coming into the sickbay as the doors open, you see um, one of the personnel of sickbay that actually works in here quite often. Um, this is Lieutenant Kalat. Mm -hmm. Um. Q-H-L-A-T, so I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's a Bolian. Um, you, you've gotten to know Kalat a little bit. Uh, Kalat's kind of, as a Bolian, surprisingly enough, you, you're shocked to learn that Kalat is uh, jovial, good-natured, likes to joke. So a little, a little unusual, I guess, for, for a bullion. Um, that being said, uh, you do know Claude has actually done quite well as a physician assistant serving here in sickbay. Um, but yes, what's- his, his bedside manner's good. Right. What's a little surprising is the, the look of seriousness on his face as he comes in with a, an ensign on his, sh on his uh, arm, helping him through the sickbay doors. Um, the ensign looks like their uniform down by their knee has been torn open, and there are clear signs of trauma to the leg. And you see them hobbling in with uh, Lieutenant Collot uh, helping them over to a med bay. Uh, some of the other nurses are glancing over there, but it's an unusual sight because you know for a fact Lieutenant Galat is gamma shift. So it's a little unusual to see the activity during the day. But he walks in holding one of these ensigns and slides this ensign down onto a bed. Um, the gentleman who uh, the ensign in the, in the yellow security form just kind of uh, sits back a little bit looking at the leg. Um, and Kalat reaches down into a med kit and notices that you're spotting them and just goes, <laughs> kind of gives you the like, oh, um, we're all good here, kind of like thumbs up and moves over to the medical kits. And you can see them as he, this, this ensign looks back in the direction of your office, also notices that you're seeing the two of them kind of like having the simultaneous moment where they realize that the commanding officer of the sick bay has spotted them. And they both seem to confer with each other and one of them nods and um, they continue. Oh, can I hear anything using my very distinct just hearing? <laughs> I um, do have a, an acute... Oh, because I have... One of my talents is keen hearing whenever you attempt to detect faint sounds, listen in on conversations, recognize voices, uh, uh, anything. If I roll for it, I, I gain a bonus d20. Okay. And I try and roll um, to hear if I yeah, can Yeah, you can roll point. for it. 
<laughs> you're around the corner. You're in your glass office. You get some mm. It's the middle. It is. The, it is the middle of the day. I'm going to go ahead and, and state that with the sound where you're positioned and the sound in the sick bay, the difficulty is three. Yeah. So not an easy roll. And what but you am got that I? Extra what am I rolling? Um, this is going to be. I might say this is insight. And, ooh, um, I would say this is insight security. Yes. Let's see. <laughs> Two twenties, right? Three twenties? No, just one. one? <laughs> just one twenty. Okay. Uh, um, I, I got two successes and one natural twenty. So, as I, yeah, all of a sudden, alarm goes off in one of my ears. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and activate a complication. Great. Um, so um, you see him just giving a nod, and as he's talking to the ensign, the ensign, as you're trying to listen, you just see um, it looks like the ensign spots you trying to listen in and goes to tap Lieutenant Collot on the hand to like, hey, hey, look, she's looking over here again. And as he taps... Anson Glott's hand, he taps the top that was holding a hypospray, which immediately impacts on the opposite leg, and you see both of them look down at his leg and look up at each other, and the Ensign just goes... <laughs> it's sideways on the sick bay bed, so there's nothing to catch him. He pitches off the back end of the bed, cartwheels over and collapses, stomach down onto the ground, and you see Lieutenant Glatt go, oh, oh, <laughs> and immediately dash around the bed as one of the nurses rushes over and um i'm gonna rush over, over as well back to you uh McCrell just goes i just he's good he's okay i'm gonna make my way over there and um you know help them get him onto the bed and whatnot and and look lieutenant uh cult he said cult Clat. Clat is how i'm pronouncing it. it's q Clat. q h l a t Clat. Clat. Yeah, I'm horrible with pronunciation. As myself and McCrell. <laughs> the bully um, looks at you, kind of straightens his uniform a little bit, and says, Doctor, Lieutenant I Clat. hope you're having a lovely shift today. Yes, I was until I saw a patient plummet to his demise off the bed. Is there anything you would like to tell me? And how did this injury come to, to happen? Yes, um, obviously uh, uh, the, the the patient needs to calm down, <laughs> um, and uh, and obvious and, and the injury was from uh, a, a, a mishap in the arboretum, um, totally by accident, uh, banged up his leg. <laughs> hmm. Bang, banged up his leg. Well, I believe there is something that you're not telling me, but. You wouldn't, it's not important. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, it, it, not sure you would believe me, to be perfectly honest, doctor. So maybe maybe it's just best. Um, well, when but, you tell me this, now I'm right. Yeah, I know. I set that up. Interest and I, 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 is even more yeah. peaked. Yes. What is the phrase that they always, I like it, uh, the curiosity, the, the cat one. Oh, Remember, yeah. No, I've heard yeah, that. I hate um, that one, but it's true. Yeah. So now I'm curious. Uh, well, uh, doctor, 
there um yeah i'm just there, gonna just lock eyes with it like there's no he keeps trying to avert my gaze and i'm just like that he, animal he, eyes it's just a little weird and i i didn't want to alarm anybody um i, I thought maybe it was a joke at first and then i saw it with my own eyes and uh and uh ensign dudridge here uh insisted that this was a thing that i had to see for myself and um in the arboretum we went down and it, it, it was ridiculous and it was off hours we'd you know we'd found out about shore leave so um we we were off duty so it was it's just that there's been rumors that there's um a, a, a hollow goose on the loose in the arboretum and there was this game that maybe we could capture it and uh it was kind of just it, it, and, and one thing led to the other, and, and then there was splashing through the water fountains, and, and then somebody slipped and uh, tore open the, the uniform. I, it, it's really, it was just stupid. Please don't tell the captain. I, I swear this is not going to happen again. I I, I, I I didn't think this was real. I didn't think Dudridge would do this. Like, I mean, he's security. I know he's got, like, a lot of adrenaline constantly coursing through because he wants to protect the crew, but... Um, Doctor, I, I I can handle it. I I'm I. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna grab his hand in my paws and just kind of close it. And it's like, next time you can skip almost all of that story and just say that he was chasing a goose and that would be enough. Okay. Oh, okay. That was very long. Oh. And then I lost interest. But oh. thank you for letting me know. Uh, you're welcome, Doctor. Yes. Instead of uh you telling another story. How about you just take care of his leg? Okay. Yes, doctor. Thank you, doctor. And then I'm just I'll gonna go, I'm gonna like walk away and think to myself. Oh, uh, doctor? Sorry. Oh, yes, I was I thinking just... to myself, what? Sorry, sorry, uh, I just wanted to take this moment to say it's been a real pleasure serving under you. It's like, I, I haven't worked in too many starships, but this one has been great. Wonderful, It's it's been a it's been lovely getting to know you as well as the rest of the medical staff. The USS Ross has probably one of the best um, nurses and medics I've seen in quite some time. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. In the background, you hear on the medical bed uh, an incident security officer, Dudridge, coming to, to just going, did you just fucking knock me out? And you see him react, go, um, yeah, it's in language. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll take care of this, Doctor. Thank you so much. Uh, I won't take up any more of your time. You're welcome. Um, uh, and as I turn to walk away, I think to myself, like, uh, I could catch that goose. <laughs> You're just thinking and about now that. Like, I, th I think Dr. McCurrell knows what she's going to do during her short leave. Cause problems if on There purpose? is a goose to catch. Uh, goose the hunt. hunt as we what Mr. Holmes would say, the game is a foot. For mm -hmm. me, the hunt is on. Uh, however, I do have a lot of I do have a lot of work to do. But if I get a spare moment, I might go. Are you saying this all out loud to yourself? No, your... just to myself in my head. <laughs> Self, you could catch that goose. <laughs> um, maybe she says it out loud a little, but no one's no one's paying attention to her. She talks. She paces. <laughs> okay. But now <laughs> I think I have I didn't know what to do during shore leave. Now. But now the legends apparently are true. 
The legend is there is a glitch somewhere on the Ross where the hollow emitters are there is a, apparently a goose loose. And for me to catch this goose because it is causing harm to my crew and I am the doctor and this is my duty to hunt this horrible glitch. Okay. That's all. And I sit back down to my desk. That, that, that was my speech to myself. <laughs> as I sit back down to my desk and go, yes. Spotlight shines down on you as everything around you fades to black and you just monologue yes. for a second. Your, okay, honk, so you... yeah. Your honking days are over, little goose. <laughs> I shall find you. And when I do, that will be all. Okay, so we're going to rename this episode Blood Oath Part 2. <laughs> Your goose is quick. There we go. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going back to my work, but now I at least have something to think about for later. You see the two members of the Ox crew off to the side getting situated, and the Ensign Dudridge um, rubbing his head and just shaking. And they're having—they're clearly having a conversation. But a therm, like a dermal regenerator, is causing the wound on the leg to immediately close up. The agitation seems to be more about like, oh, I have to repair the uniform now too. Um, the two of them going back and forth. But what, he, what you do note, Dr. McCrell, is that this is a rare moment of levity that you've seen from the Ox crew. In the past couple of weeks, things have been very tense on the Ross. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing has slowed down since first contact. So this has been kind of like the, the, the honkitude has actually been kind of a nice touch. Yeah. Operation Goose is a happy visitor. <laughs> uh, words are hard to find when I'm when I'm talking um, about geese. <laughs> who else would like to take a scene now? What else is going on on the docked USS Ross? Anybody? I can if no one has any. I've certainly got something if nobody else has anything, but if you want to take it, Gina, uh, I'd love to know what Exio's been up to. Um, yeah, uh, I will just say, um, so Exio is in the um, conference, um, the we're, the meeting room. My brain is okay. Yeah, the conference room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the conference room. Um, briefing room, conference room. Briefing room. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. Briefing room. I forget it all the time. It's <laughs> technically uh, yeah. It's the briefing room. It's on deck one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's in there, and um, she ha has sort of all uh, like has set up several. Um, she's preparing for a meeting. Um, but no one is there. It's like almost like she's like seven hours early and has like prepped a stations um, for everyone involved and like gotten everyone's chairs and is rearranging them over and over again and is setting up in each station with like possible um, briefing um, data pads and, and double checking them over and over um, and is talking aloud to herself. Um, and, and every sort of 30 seconds or so, um, um, she's not talking audibly. Um, she has turned her volume down, but she is continuously moving her mouth. Um, and every 30 seconds or so, she stops and 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 then deletes it. Um, you, she's like actively recording and then and deleting, and and she is dictating personal messages over and over and over. And there's like files that if you were in her 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 database in her brain, um, you would just see like you know 30 unsent text messages and then erasing them um mm -hmm. and then um they all have sort of uh, you know 10 minute apart um 
uh, time logs and and erase, erase, erase. Um, okay. Until she gets so frustrated, and then um, and then she just sort of panics and sits down in, at Macrell's station, and um, and is just sitting there um, with her hands clenched very tightly, and um, and then she continues to wait and and is doing a very difficult time sitting still which is not something she's used to um and then gets up again and continues up, up to this sort of this repetitive obsessive cycle of of checking everything over and over again um making sure she hasn't missed anything and that everything's ready when it's time for the meeting eventually you do get a chirping sound coming through and the sound of a certain helmsman's voice coming through. Uh, yes. <laughs> you hear, uh, yeah, you just hear, um, you, you hear this Andorian's voice coming through. Uh, Commander? Yes, go for Commander. Uh, sorry, Commander. I was wondering if I could have a word with you. There's a, there's a pitch that I want to make to the captain, and I needed to pass it through you first as protocol dictates and whatnot. Excellent. I am in the briefing room if you would like to attend right now. Oh, great. Uh, yes. Thank you, Commander. I'll be right there. And the chirp confirms. I flip um, next to where Ren's seat is, and I readjust it and open it for him. <laughs> Just, like, okay. open the seat and um, and then blip back to, to my station. <laughs> Not station, but my seat in the in the meeting room. Right, 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 right. Okay, you see Vryn steps into the room moments later. Obviously, the briefing room is just behind the bridge, so it only takes him a few moments to get there. But as he steps in, he pauses um, and goes, wow, this looks very orderly in here. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. No, not at all. I'm actually three hours early. Just perfect. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, Commander, uh, so I had kind of a big request, and uh, I don't know what the protocol is for it, so I thought I might run it by you to see if maybe you thought this was a good idea, we could pitch it to the captain. But um, we have two weeks, and I, I, I'm sure the captain's going to find something to give us, and, and you will find something to give us in that time, um, yeah. outside of relaxing, of course. And I was thinking, if there's still a window open, I would really like to just take the Ross somewhere. Oh, a sort of joyride, or do you have a destination in mind? No, no, kind of a joyride. I, I was, I was thinking, um, maybe back on, maybe we do this on the way back to Shackleton Expanse, or maybe even here. But I was thinking, uh, just, you know, see what's out there, kind of throw a big sensor sweep, and I don't know, find something, and go, <laughs> um, hmm. sort of spread our wings a little bit. Two weeks, the Ross is ours, uh, so so to speak, obviously. And I was thinking. You know, tech obviously needs more time working on the engine core because of how hard we pushed her, but if we could do something a little more local, we might have like a, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's like a planet with biology around here that could be scanned. I'm sure um, there's like a spatial anomaly, something that could, in the universe is probably floating around out there. Maybe we could find it and just check it out. One could only hope. Yeah. Thank you um, for coming to me with this. I think this is actually an excellent idea, not only for crew morale, but I think it would be 
good to feel... To have the crew feel like the ship is theirs again. Yeah, actually, I think now that you're saying that, I think that's kind of what motivated me to want to ask. Yeah. I, I thought, worst case scenario, maybe just find a really good place to park Ross. So we might not we have a great park, view. Maybe not park, but but definitely get back to exploring. Right. Yes. I will absolutely bring this up to the captain, and I think they will be more than overjoyed to consider this. That's great. That's great. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. Of course. I just didn't think it was going to go that well, you know, because I'm basically saying, hey, can I borrow a starship? Well, <laughs> Not I mean, literally. Long. Right. No, I think there is plenty of merit in this. It, it may not be exactly as you are imagining, but... <laughs> right. I... I will get back to you. Okay. I won't take up any more of your time. Uh, I'll see you in uh, three hours, I guess. Yes. Well, don't worry. Just, um, yes. Thank you, Commander. Of course. Dismissed. And Vren, with this glowing look on his face, um, kind of, like, skips out of the room, like... Like he just got told he could go on spring break, just kind of bounces out. Shh, door closes behind him. Um, behind you, you can see that the Ross is still in space dock. She is still docked at Starbase 105. So you're still seeing that horizon of the Starbase itself and all of the ships that are currently docked and passing in and out of the system. Yes. Um, Exio to Captain. The captain is with Chief Peck right now, and they have half a mouthful of, like, uh, like, macabre bread, like, uh, <laughs> something that will settle. Soak it up. Yeah. Exactly. We just need carb. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just settle a nice layer of carb. The carb um, load is part of the experience after the fact. <laughs> right. Yes. As, as all great... Asteroids athletes, no. <laughs> okay. And they get caught, they get caught like halfway through the fight. Takes off in it. Exio's confused over whether or not their communication is got <laughs> Go for salt. Right. Oh, um, yes, sorry to disturb you. I know you are taking some personal time. Um, I just wanted to put in a formal request to have your presence about an hour before the meeting. Understood. Absolutely, Commander. Uh, tech, I think I might head on up. But same time next week? Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, of course. You're on. <laughs> if it's a different game, I won't complain either. <laughs> Well, let's let's put it on random and see what happens. Oh I man! I heard a thing about a packed man. <laughs> Y'all are playing Pitfall next time. God I don't know you. what that means. God help you. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for but the yeah. course. Uh, <laughs> Soul specifically gets something into a calendar okay. uh, with tech before they leave. Sure. Just type uh, it into your data pad that you carry with you. Yep, this exactly. is the ultimate fantasy. It, you mean that's happening <laughs> right, right now? Exactly. 
Sol shows their involvement by making sure that, like, they have made time. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, nice. Continuity of friendship. This whole big gap in between hanging out doesn't happen again. Hmm. So this we have is, a few. This is where socials come from. So then uh, from there, they'll actually head up quite directly. Okay. So. ICO. Okay. It's so like you're one go of those uh, can we talk later? No, we're talking now. Now that you said that, Wait, yes, why do you, now. Why does Exio want to talk to me? Uh, I'm sorry, Jake, exactly. I got to go. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, God, what is it? Q, the Romulans, are they here? <laughs> like, for the, what is it now? Like, yeah, they, they, they <laughs> make an appointment with Nick and yeah. they leave. Yeah, Rave has it. <laughs> um, I apologize for traumatizing my players. I, I <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so within about 10 minutes, the captain appears on the bridge and moves down into the briefing room. Like, you are still in the briefing room, I take it, Exio? Yes. Okay. No, it tends to be exactly right here. The door is open and C Captain Saul steps into the uh, briefing room. Oh, Captain. I, it, it, I know one hour before the meeting. That meets the parameters, does it not? Yes. Sorry, I, I didn't expect you to be so overly prompt about my request. Thank you. I know it is impossible to expect timeliness from one's captain. Nevertheless, I endeavor to surprise you. <laughs> I'm just the one usually this absurdly early. A uh, ballerina must be kept on her toes, Commander. Um, please, please, come in. Um, she... I'll, I'll take my seat. I'll just kick it open. <laughs> okay. Sit down. Cool. You pull the Riker maneuver, <laughs> step over the top of the chair. Lord, they can if they want to, don't they? Yeah, you're you're easily as tall as Riker. I don't even. I don't even think I can Riker. I can't even imagine the act. Uh, so I think Sol just kicks the chair to like open it off from the table a little bit, okay. and then sits back into it. They're okay. a little more casual about it, but also a little more violent against the portrait. Okay. So, I know the meeting isn't scheduled for a, a little bit later, but um, I took the liberty of, of setting everything up. I, I know we're supposed to be on shore leave, but um, I know that some of us tend to relax better when they have work that they actually get to do, rather than um, relaxing. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I've kept certain files on who likes to work and who doesn't, but um, I, 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 I know some of our crew do need a break, as I have been particularly anxious about this. Um, I'm worried of disturbing everyone's calm, uh, but I, I, um, oh, anyway, uh, yes, the point, the point of this, um, Ren just spoke with me and had an idea that I actually thought would be most advantageous. Um, is there something different with your vocal processors? Your tempo is up by at least 30%. Oh, um, let me check. Yes, yes. There is a little bit of an offness. I may have accidentally bumped my settings up a little bit. Let me just correct that. There, how's that? Is that better? Is there like a an insight engineering I can do with this? Well, with Exio, it's it's literally just like reading. I mean, especially because you've come, come to be so close to your first officer now. I would say this is just a straight up insight uh, command role. I'm I'm good for that, certainly. I'm just and I'm trying to tell like what's going. In, in this case, I would say 
Gina, do you yeah. want XBO to try to mask how they're feeling, or do you want to just let the captain have a straight difficulty one roll? Uh, I would say they're not, they're clearly not focusing on uh, uh, trying to hide it as they are very clearly speaking differently, um, mm -hmm. manifesting in, in such a way. And I don't think she's actively thinking about how alarming that might be to have behavioral changes um, that are just vocal differences. Um, okay. So Exio's not. Oh, so Exio's. I, I don't sorry. think I'm masking it specifically. Because okay. I, I I acknowledged that there was a setting clearly wrong, and that I was. Oh yes, accidentally my parameters yeah. got shifted because I accidentally my code sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm gonna rule that this is gonna be a difficulty zero check then. All right. I'll build up some momentum then. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This... A ton and a six. So there's two into pot. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, Captain. And, and correct me, correct me if you need to, Gina. Yes. But, Captain, if you didn't know any better, you might be sensing this behavior coming from Exio to be her programming's expression of anxiety. How effectively is she masking it on the correction? Or is it you, really just like a different, you you plug a hole in the hose and a different one goes that I'm hearing in your voice? Um, I would say it was, you know, I would say the level of um, anxiety and masking is when you happen upon someone who was just sort of having a difficult conversation with someone else, and then you walked into the friend circle and everyone got quiet and strange and was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, hey, welcome into the, we can't talk about that thing anymore, but like, hi, you know, it's that level of like, clearly you can tell you've walked into some level of anxiety, but they're, they aren't specifically masking it because it's you, they're just masking it because a new energy walked into the room and they could no longer have that energy. Yep. All right. So what is it that uh, Vrum is suggesting exactly? Oh, um, yes. So, um, basically, he said that um, he would like to request some joyride time. Obviously, not alone, but considering the information we learned, earlier about being followed as such, um, sort of taking erratic decision making of where the ship goes might be incredibly beneficial as to throw them off our scent without alarming the crew as to why. And he said that in those terms? I believe he sort of was just yearning for adventure, Captain. And I thought it would be well, I articulated to him as well that I thought it might be nice for the crew to feel like they own this ship again, to feel like it's theirs and that they have, they have agency over what we do at the moment, as opposed to- Having our chains yanked by admirals who aren't telling us what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> and I know we are guilty of this as well. We don't always get to share, so. Allowing them some freedom to choose 
and exploration might be really good as the relaxation that we were hoping for while having a shore leave while still having a mission, Captain, that isn't more espionage. It's worthy. I'm glad that we're not being put on any further assignments like that. Except that we do still need to help Dr. Wellex. Exactly why I thought that this would be perfect in tandem. The crew gets a chance to explore while we get to hide in randomness. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. If we can find maybe some nice long-range scans in the sector of space where Wellix directs us once we get that information from him. We'll set the junior officers loose, heavens. It's going to be chaos. I'd rather it be chaos we choose. The chaos we choose. Yes. Should we call the meeting sooner than later? L later. Later. <clears throat> Shall we? I've never heard that vocal glitch before. Oh. Have you run diagnostics lately? No, I, I've been waiting. Um, everyone seems very busy at the moment, and I was sort of waiting for a free moment before we can delve in to me. What would you tell our organic staff who took such a course of action? That they were clearly not listening to my advice and to do it. Hmm. You're very wise, Commander. Well, are you... Are you sure? I know that this is free time, but I... I... We have two hours and 47 minutes until that meeting. I don't know if you've noticed, but my core is quite large, and I don't know how long it would take. I'm quite complicated. And I fully plan on allotting time to those intricacies. You know the privilege of command? We can push the meeting. You're important too. Okay, well. Then, and she adjusts a data pad in front of her. Do you, would you assist me in running a full diagnostic, not just on, not just on my hollow emitter, but on everything? I know that Tech is very stressed and then gets very stressed and has a lot on his plate and it isn't always fair to put not only everything, but also all of me as well. So, I think... I will happily take on the mission of all of you. And Sol gets up, looks at the table and the data pad, and just cats one of them out of position. <laughs> you... <laughs> 
there is a there is a slight audible like almost pearl clutching like and and like but but then um it's it's just a small and and then a slight head nod of I understand I understand that is not a reasonable response I understand um yes yes I I I need to go to my engineering therapy now and um let's go take a look at that core of yours yes get to the core of you I suppose yes Yes. I think that (laughs) I think that will reveal a lot of probably questions and that's better exploration both without and within yes captain and she sort of extends her hand um, almost like like she's not she, she isn't willing she's not standing up like she is saying all of the things but she isn't standing um, she's okay. like yes let's go um, yes let's go do that but she isn't standing and she's literally reaching out for you to have that, that momentum just something push or literally pull her to go confront it. And Saul takes your hand underhand and you can feel the size and strength of them sort of encourage your arm and you upward. Um, And you register the pressure in your sensors. I register the pressure on my sensors, and you register that the hard light is humming a lot harder than it normally is when you feel her. It's almost like... An expression? An ex- if, if a hologram could shake. Photonic jitter. Photonic jitter. I imagine kind of registers a little bit like, as you were saying, where it's it's got that sort of vibrational, but upon closer expe- inspection to like a really well-trained eye, it might almost look like you can see a little bit of definition in the program. Not like XEO is becoming a part, but just that because of that vibration and, and the disruption and the photonics, uh, force fields that are being used to manifest Exio, you can actually see a little bit, it, we'll put it this way, because holograms are the technological use of photons and force fields, Exio kind of glows a little bit around her hand, has a little bit of like an alternate light lighting effect. So, yeah. Kind of like uh, those, those TV lines a little bit, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, something very similar to that. And infrequently in some beautiful fan art. Mm-hmm. Align. Yeah. Heck, even in certain official portraits. <laughs> so yeah. as Sol Sol helps her up and as as arm is near arm just a little bit. It's not a hug, it's just a lean. Just a bit of a comfort lean. Not so much as to make it obvious that that is a thing that is happening or they are in any way acknowledging that this is happening, allowing like a little bit of saving face, but also right. being here. 
Right on. Okay. And we steer toward the data core. Okay. Um, when just as a as a as an aside, because even when you're, you know, even when your mind is thinking about something specific, it it, it tends to sort of try to outwardly stimulate you really like as small minor distractions. Um, when we walk past the desk, I try to lock eyes with Dren with like a. Okay. Oh yeah. You you do see he does kind of glance back um, just from the helm area to see if there is an indication of what the status of that is. Um, but when you give him the the look, he just goes. And there's just this containment. There's just this containment on Brent's face. Yep. Um, all right, so y'all are headed down to the computer core. Um, what is Olin up to? I think that Olin has essentially gone through the motions of going to the transporter room at least three times and then turning around and going back to their quarters and then like tapping out a message to Admiral Mestis and then deleting it and putting it aside and then going to the transporter room again and turning back around. This is the ship of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but, this is the uh, USS anxiety. I feel is fine. Very, Patience is very confused and has been incredibly concerned. Okay. Um, at some point, I think uh, Olin notices that and is like, thinking about maybe taking her to the holodeck and maybe that will help kind of release some tension. So I think that's where they head. Okay. Um, while that's happening, just to check in, I would love to know what Lakat's up to. You've been so patient and your reactions have been priceless this entire game session. Ryan <laughs> shared his little joyride idea with Lakat. Um, sure. Yes, because here's the thing, because because the way I imagine that conversation going mm -hmm. is I imagine at some point Vryn brought, brings up the fact that we could play that out right now, that conversation between the two of you. I mean, you're at Space Dock right now, so there's actually not a lot to do at the main station. Uh -huh. Um. I mean, Vren is really just kind of going through maintenance on Helm right now. Mm -hmm. And and not like he's running diagnostics, like really low-level diagnostics on the Helm. Uh, when you two are sitting there quietly chirping away at your computers, he swivels in the chair next to you and goes, Hey, you're a biologist, aren't you? Um, Jane, who just like, she, she literally stops what she's doing, looks up, stares at the invisible camera, and it's just, like, has to take a second <laughs> breathe. Ren, yes, I I would say I am a biologist. What's Why the, you, you study uh, plants. Um, among things, yes. No, no, what's the, I forget, what, what is that called? You're a- Biology? Is that, what is that? Xenobiology? Is that the word you're looking for? No, 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 no. You, you study plant life. Botanist. That's what I was trying to yeah. say. 
Okay. You're a botanist. This is weird. Why are you thinking about botany right now? Uh, it's just that since we've served on the Ross, I'll, uh, I've just, you know, you haven't gotten a chance to do a lot of botany, right? I mean, we have I mean, a really extensive arboretum. Yeah, but I mean, that's a that's botany we bring with us. I was just thinking, and hear me out, but you know how the captain said we're getting like two weeks off? Uh, yes, I, yes. <laughs> Surely love it when we take risks like that um what uh what were you thinking and she like kind of like so he's like so he says two weeks off jane is like are we about to get into a conspiracy here i want like so she kind of like wait hold on actually the chair she's sitting in is it like a swivel chair or is it like a chair no it's this is a chair where you can move left and right easily yeah beautiful so i'm she's she's gonna uh roll on over closer to him Okay. Oh, you can't move the chair. <laughs> you yeah. can turn left and right. You can swivel in it, but you can't actually move it across the floor. Towards him and like leans forward. Okay. Yeah. And he leans forward too and says, "Tell you what, we're technically not really necessary. We don't need to be reporting to our stations right now. We're in space dock. We have been for the past, you know, twenty-four hours. Why don't you come with me to the holodeck real quick? I want to show you something really cool." Okay. Tell me what you think, and if you like it, I'm gonna go pitch it to Commander Exio. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go. All right. Um, she follows him. She's like, I'm down. Um, the tube. Curiosity. The cat. Um, <laughs> this is the name of this episode. <laughs> curiosity. <laughs> the cat. Yeah. Um, so she okay. Follows. So, mm-hmm. the two of you head down to the holodeck. Mm-hmm. We'll say you head down to deck 11, you're at holodeck one, and it just so happens, that's the same holodeck, <laughs> as you two are approaching, he's in the middle of talking to you, when you see rounding the long corridor is Ambassador Olin Marginil coming up with patients, bounding um, to their side, kind of bouncing up and down. Um, you see uh, Lacat and Vren uh, approaching the same holodeck double doors as you, is the two of you in a somewhat empty corridor right now on uh, on deck 11. The two of you, the three of you rather converge on the same holodeck door. And Vren just goes, hey, Ambassador, um, haven't seen you in a couple of hours. What have you been up to? <laughs> Sorry, I'm terrible at small talk. I was going to show the cat something. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm, I was just going to throw a frisbee around, let off some steam. Sounds uh, about that. Is oh. that like a sparring program? Uh, no, it's a fetch program. Uh, okay. You can you can watch if you like. It's you can play if you like. Come um, on in. Okay. Um, and then Vren leans into you, the cat, and goes, "Um, what what species is a frisbee?" Sure, I hope hope it's um, I hope it's got teeth. Why? That always makes, makes things more fun. What? What? Makes the species more fun. Has teeth? Yeah, teeth. You want to put? Okay, but you're not just talking like normal teeth. You're talking like you're talking teeth, right? You're talking like 
Yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about. Wait, wait. What did you want to show me though? Because I'm still really, really curious about that. Can we show Olin or do you not? Are you not? Oh, Olin? yeah. Let's show Olin because I think Olin would actually, um, and he kind of glances, and the two of you notice that the ambassador is staring at the two of you, listening to this entire conversation because they were only like a foot and a half away. <laughs> and, I can assure you, frisbees don't have teeth, they're made of plastic. Uh, then oh, I sometimes that sounds incredibly boring. No offense, Olin. Um, but then I've I was... taken you to do frisbee with with patients before. You've done this with me. Oh, frisbee! I heard something different. Thank you. Never mind. Sorry. I do know what a frisbee is, Brand. I'm so sorry. This is your thing is probably cooler. Uh, Ambassador, I was gonna show La Cat. Um, something real quick, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, too. Um, all right. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, computer, and you hear the chirping sound, and Vryn goes, uh, load program Vin, uh, Vryn, uh, 34Z. And you hear the chirp of, like, confirmation, and the holodeck, the yellow and black squares that are all around you, because remember, this is still based mostly on Galaxy-class technology, so we don't have the updated versions of Holodeck all over the ship, but this Holodeck goes and you see it completely change into what looks like this lush jungle looking over this valley filled with waterfalls and hovering trees that are literally dangling in the air, being held together by vines that are anchoring it down. Uh, some of these trees that are being anchored to the canopies below them are reaching up close to 200 feet in the air in a feat of... It, it looks like it's pure fantasy. And Vren points this out and goes, okay, so this is a planet called... Oh, uh, I had it here. One sec. He pulls out a data pad and goes, this is... Computer, I'm sorry. What What planet is this? This is the planet CX009773, located in the Volaic system. Yeah, that. Um, so this is only 20 light years away, which is far. But my point is... No, far is perfect. James, you see where I'm going with this? The wheels in her brain turning. So, Ambassador, what I was thinking was, is I was thinking about maybe pitching... Commander Exio and, and, and Captain Sull, well, I would have to talk to Exio first, but if Exio is sold on it, what I'm hoping is we can just go somewhere and maybe scan something and maybe take a dirt sample. I don't know. Just get out there a little bit. You know, because we're... Friend, and she says, why do you want to do this? You're going to think it's kind of silly, but... Um, no, I think it's brilliant as an idea, and I 100% I support this, but I think your reasoning is a little bit different than mine. It's a beautiful planet. Well, I just want to feel like an exploration vessel again. <laughs> oh, and Jane grows quiet at that, because the wheels in her brain have been turning, but she hears that, and like, it clashes with your plans on countering an impending Romulan attack from a cloaked vessel. It just slams into it. It really freaking does. Because, like, 
she wants to get away so that that thing is unafraid to cloak, uncloak. Um, um, your, your concentration is kind of broken by the sound of patience yipping loudly and excitedly at a tree that is floating about 20 feet over your heads, just kind of just gently glides. The branches that are reaching down have become nesting areas for these strange looking bird creatures that live just underneath this tree that are kind of gazing out of the nest with these huge black eyes, curiously like cocking their heads to the side. There's a whole swarm of them just staring down at this dog that's like yipping up and chasing after them as this tree just drifts around. Patience, and leave it. <laughs> Um, patience fights and eventually does as you tell them. But you can see, uh, you can see, and of course, being an empath can feel from patience this sort of like, okay. Uh, Olin just holds out a, a, Olin holds out a little treat for patience. So patience moves over and, and, and Vryn just goes, okay, so that is an endorsement. Like we, we, patience, patience thinks we should go. Maybe I could tell Exio that we have an endorsement from. I'm going to say it would be nice. Completely valid. It would be nice for patience to have a place to run around that's real. That's not recycled air from a life support system. I uh, have to admit I enjoyed nothing about the previous mission. Under the table diplomacy is not my style, and I would really like to get back to exploring myself. So you got an endorsement from me. I just, I know that if we do this, it's not going to be just an exploration mission. Um, if we do this, there is a good chance that whoever is following us is gonna take that as an opportunity to unfold once no. more. Let's be clear, let's be clear. I want that, I want that, but I also, also really, I just really wanna go here. I wish I didn't think like this. I wish, I wish that my first thought wasn't how, how can we get those Romulans to uncloak? Well, let me just step in here, because first of all, I got the order to max out her engines. So I'm just going to say, I made the Ross run, and she ran. And I'm, oh, I'm just going to... And she's going to high-five him. <laughs> oh, he takes... he. You see a little bit of that flyboy coming out in Vren, that arrogant flyboy. He just claps hands with you, and he goes, man, I made this ship... I would love to see a galaxy class pull what we pulled. I don't think so. Two warp cores. Two. I'm just saying. I'm sorry, Ambassador. I'm not usually like this. I, I'm. You, you don't have to act with any sort of decorum in front of me. I am not Starfleet. So. Olin's great. We go way back. Do you know this, Bren? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think you said something about Olin was. Uh, Starfleet sent Olin to to Cardassia. Is that correct? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they wrote me. Uh, they're the ones who wrote me my letter of recommendation. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Don't know well, what you saw me back then, but here we are. Well, I mean, I may not particularly be into the intrigue, but this ship needs somebody who does. 
enjoy or at least think about that kind of thing. And so I'm glad that they have you. Um, and I, I think that you as an empath, um, Olin, realize that like, these are literally the two people that Jane is the most comfortable around on this ship, which is why like she is so lively and just like, just, just chill, just, just willing to be herself right now. Um, and willing to cut loose a little bit because these are the two people that she does not need to, um, you know, put on a mask for. So this is, yeah. it is I think. Um, that said, I may not be super excited about this whole Romulan business, but I was the very first person to meet Wellix. Um, I think you both remember exactly how that went down. And uh, I have a few yeah, messages. Yeah, saved his life. Yeah, after he held a gun to my back. Always well, loved Romulan. That's a pretty Romulan thing to do, right? I guess not saying so. it excuses it, but <laughs> I mean, we can get him back for that. No, wait. <laughs> oh, you scare me. I just... You scare me. It's habit. It's habit. It's habit. Uh, she's also used to uh, getting this particular look from me at this point, too. Yeah, this, this is normal. Yeah. I think um, that... Uh, I, uh, I have a few calls that I probably need to make. And maybe they'll distract me from uh, other things. But uh, you two, you two have fun, and I'm I'm going to go now. Okay. Thanks, you Ambassador. You can have the holodeck. We're we're done here. I just wanted to show this to. Oh. Um, to walk you back? No, I just I was coming here to distract myself from more important things. But I think. Uh, more important things are going to find me one way or the other, so I might as well not put them off. So, yeah, I will talk to you both later. Jane's going to run and say, Ren, can I meet you back at the bridge? Yeah. And Vren exits. Uh, Jane turns to Olin and says, uh, I'll walk you to where you're going. I'm just going back to my quarters. Well, actually, I probably need to go to an actual diplomatic suite for this. I'm headed to the promenade. All right. It's been a while since I've been at the promenade. I've been kind of stuck to the censor's log. How have you been enjoying yourself? I mean, in general. Enjoying is a very specific word. Um, I've been suspicious, but I'm suspicious by nature. Um, I am not looking forward to two weeks of doing nothing. I think Ren has a really, really good idea here, but, um... Do you honestly think that we'll be doing nothing those two weeks? Absolutely. You do know who our command staff is, right? Absolutely. They'll find something. Are you okay <laughs> with Wellix, though? With Wellix? I haven't even spoken to him since he got on the ship. No, but it seems to be something that's on your mind from the way you referred to him while we were talking with Bren. I think I, uh... I lost the plot there a little bit on him. I, um... It was an out-of-sight, out-of-mind kind of thing. He was no longer my problem, so I didn't think about it. And now we have a ship following us. 
putting us in danger. For Romulan, who tried to kill me. Didn't try to kill me, but he put my life in danger so that he could get on the ship. And now him being on the ship has put everybody else in danger. So I have ambivalent feelings about what's going on right now. And even more ambivalent feelings about how I can help. You've always been good at figuring it out. Well... I think you know that I'm the type of diplomat who's always enjoyed being able to do things out in the open. Putting things face up on the table and just hashing it out where everyone can see. That's the kind of diplomacy I like to do. Diplomacy that that forges friendships and and makes things better in a way that doesn't feel so clandestine. Olin and- our friendship literally means nothing if I haven't taught you to be at least a little bit sneaky. I mean, I'm not saying I can't do it and that I won't do it. I just don't particularly enjoy doing it. Well, each his own. Anyway, we're here. As the door opens, and you see the expansive double decks of the Arboreta, uh, the uh, the promenade, wrapping all around the incredible length of the saucer section of the USS Ross. The enormity of this section of the ship is really something that gives all of you scale as beings that live inside and work in the USS Ross. The promenade always reminds you that this is essentially a city in space of about 2,500 people working at Starfleet. And the promenade itself is an expression of a place where everyone can come together and relax and enjoy and connect and really observe the immensity of this starship. Scale six, this is a big ship and the promenade really makes it show. Um, But also you're greeted with the sounds of waterfalls and the holographic images of these huge banana leaves coming off of these beautiful lush plants swaying gently in a mist that is not actually spraying water on anybody who walks by. Um, There's the conversations are loud all throughout the promenade as a lot of the members of the Ox crew have gathered here on their off time. Um, The diplomatic suites, of course, are off limits to anybody except for the ambassadorial staff. And you can clearly see them from this side of the turbo lift uh, just down the way. As you all step off onto the promenade and begin to head in that direction, we're going to pause here and take our 10-minute break. So we will be back at 8.25 our time. So we'll be about 10 minutes. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you in just a minute. And uh, the board queen just nods and says, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you, you, I just you wanted you to acknowledge the supremacy of Orange Soda. That's all I asked. And I should have. And I see that now. I will pull all my forces back into our quadrant. Um, thank you. And we'll for... send you those cases of arms. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You only had to ask. Uh, you're, and, and I know that now, and I am sorry. Um, could you just let Earth know that I'm really, really sorry about that? But thank you for the orange soda. Of course, I will, darling. Okay. All right. We're going to go because we're freaking everyone out. So, of course. anyway, bye, bye everyone. Bye. And she beams we'll off the bridge. And the yeah. fleet of Borg cubes filled with orange soda return. Um, Great game, you guys. That was amazing. Uh, we won well, the Star Trek. Yeah, you won the Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs>
What kind of fanfic was that? <laughs> Sorry, we're all just the really tonight. Okay, little mini episode for everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. So there's going to be fan art, you know, you know, it's going to be They're like, no, 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 this is canon. This happened. Um, okay, so let's jump back into the actual story of Clear Skies. Uh, when we last left off, the, uh, you two, the Ambassador Olin Majanil and Lieutenant LeCat were stepping onto the, uh, the promenade. The promenade deck, of course, is one of the USS Ross's most starting, uh, most striking features. Uh, one of the things that makes her unique, designed as essentially the diplomatic hand of the Federation wherever she operates, the promenade deck continues to be an expression of the Federation's commitment to peace and reaching out to new neighbors. Right now, that's even more apparent as you watch walking through a crowd of ox crew, of species across the spectrum, all engaging each other in conversation, laughing, a few of them having heated debates. Um, through the aquatic walls that are now built into this deck, on occasion, you see some of the cetacean officers having conversations with some of the other officers that are walking side by side, um, one swimming, one walking, each of them having conversations with data pads in front of them. Um, above you, of course, as always, when the promenade is not in, when, when the USS Ross is not at yellow alert, the shields of the glass roof of the promenade, um, the, the, the viewports have been opened. So that door has been slid open and you can see out into the beautiful crystal black uh, spattering of space with stars above you. And the slight glow of light reflecting off the surface of the nearby starbase that you're currently docked at. Um, the cat, you and the ambassador, after walking through a crowd of the ox crew and greeting some of them, a few of your science staff nodding to you, a few of the ambassadorial staff nodding to their ranking ambassador on board um, and deferring to them as they walk by, eventually you both reach the diplomatic corps office here on the USS Ross. It is staffed with a secretary. <clears throat> the uh, assistant that works in here is constantly cycled through. It looks like the USS Ross is always giving um, crew members duty shifts here to essentially supplement the staff uh, on the USS Ross, to supplement the ambassadorial staff. Um, so everybody who has a little bit of a background with it or any kind of background or interest in diplomacy has made themselves available to the Dipl diplomatic corps when you two walk in, <clears throat> you do see um, a member of actually the science team right now. One of the members of the science team, um, an astrophysicist that actually has worked with you before in the past, Ravity, um, his name is Neil Sagan. He is currently sitting at the, uh, at the desk right now. It looks like he's going over some duty roster reports and sort of organizing. You can tell just from walking in the door that Neil, this lieutenant is, looks like what he's trying to do is organize a lot of the data that he's been receiving from some of the cetacean ops. And you see he's so engrossed because it's a very quiet day at the, diplom at the, at the diplomatic corps office here on the promenade, being that you're all in, in, docked. Um, you see he is just kind of like, he looks up at you and goes, oh, 
ambassador and stands up. Forgive me, I'm so sorry. I was just catching up on some work. Uh, Lieutenant Lacat, uh, hello. <laughs> uh, is there anything I can do for either one of you? I was just going to use my, I was just going to be in my office, that's all. Understood. If you need anything, please let me know. Of course. And he slides back into the seat and pulls the data pads over again and uh, returns to his work as the two of you enter into the office. Do you have an image of what the office looks like in your mind? I think, uh, I think Olin, I think Olin has like a really, really pretty fish tank in there in their office like uh because we're so close to like where cetacean ops kind of intersects with the promenade i think mm-hmm. that they they got themselves sort of a, a fish tank built in as a sort of extension to that okay. um and like some of the native other fish that i guess have probably been seeded into cetacean ops um also kind of make, can make their way in and out of uh owen's tank as they please uh, so they just get like this nice little variety of, of fish coming and going. Uh, if that's how that works. If that's not how that works, then they just have fish that are in their tank. So uh, so the tank, we'll say, actually wraps around the entire back wall of your office. It's essentially this large strip of an aquarium that goes from one wall to the back wall to the round, just kind of rounds it out and gives the entire room this look and feel of... Uh, sorry, I'm laughing at myself because I realize I'm basically describing my room in Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> But you get you get this this sort of on all sides of you you get these um, these diverse species and this very calming atmosphere as you move inside. Of course, there are the flags of the Federation. This office serves as sort of the this is this is the ambassador center chair. This is where the diplomatic corps, as it's stationed on the USS Ross, is. Com- this is where it commands from. This is where it, all the meetings really happen. Um, I was actually Jane actually doesn't enter unless Olin gives them like a definite like I want like I want you in here with me while I'm making these calls. Okay. Um, so what would you say are the general feeling that Jane's getting from them? Um, uh, hockey. I think uh, they. I mean, you're you, you've uh, Lacat has been following along the whole time, and they haven't at any point been like, actually, I, I need you to. Go. So I think that they're not going to be like get get you all the way to the door of their office and then just be like, yeah, you can go now. I think I think uh, they turn to you and be like, uh, before I get to business, would you like a cup of tea or? No, you okay with me staying here? I don't think anything I'm about to do is information you're not going to come up against at some point or another, but. Well, don't try to convince me to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something a little bit interesting, right? Well, um, it depends. I I have a few calls to make. I actually wanted to talk to you about one thing, um, if you didn't mind. Of course. What? So I have a confession to make. Uh, before you and Ren found me on my way to the holodeck, I was actually thinking about sending a request to Admiral Mestus to meet with Nodren. Interesting. What were you I mean, hoping? 
outcome of that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I technically had to go through Admiral Mestis at all, but I figured that it was better to ask than just barge in on someone who's no longer a problem, technically, and not really in my jurisdiction anymore. So I figured if I asked Admiral Mestis and he said no, then at least, at least then I could uh, blame that for the reason I get to leave this place without any sort of closure on that. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for someone to dissuade you from doing something, so I'm talking to the wrong person, I know. <laughs> I don't think I was looking for someone to dissuade me. I just... I'll be I here. don't feel like I really accomplished what I wanted with any of the conversations I had with him. And it was very interesting to watch Captain Sol and Exio with him and the Jem'Hadar, and the Changeling, and feel out of my depth. And I wasn't sure why that was happening. And of course, the, the knee-jerk reaction is I'm upset, because everybody else on the ship is upset, and I can't help but feel what they feel, so... I manifest what they feel. I don't think I made my feelings on Audrey subtle, so I would not be surprised if you were catching some of that. You know, when I saw him, smarmy smirk on his face, all I could think about was Cardassia and the way it looked when I arrived there. And to have such a smug sense of superiority when you yourself are a slave is completely baffling to me. I'm really happy that I didn't get to look him in the eye. Well, I don't consider myself to be much of a violent person. But if I were anyone but me, I would have happily punched him on your behalf. You just see her smile at that. And it is a, um, it is not like a smile that you like it's Ren or like you earlier. It is a Cardassian smile. <laughs> um, but you also, like, I think as an empath, you feel that she kind of retreats when you, like, talk about Nadrin, um, like, emotionally. Mm -hmm. uh, just, like, straight up distances herself from you in a way that feels very similar to, uh, like, the person you met when, like, you first met her on Cardassia. Um... And so she, she, she emotionally retreats, but she also physically retreats and she goes and like takes her seat and says, I don't need any tea, I'm good. 
I'm not entirely sure what it is I would hope to achieve by having another conversation with him. Which is probably why I've... Hmm? I think you should do it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyone who can gain something more from someone, do the thing. Do the thing. Huh? <laughs> and, uh, Olin, like, pulls over a data pad. Uh, the one that has been sitting with the draft to of their request to Admiral Mestis. Okay. Um, and uh, they kind of just give Lakata a look. So, uh, go ahead and make a roll for me, uh, Olin. Sure. I'm, I'm going to ask for a... This is going to be an insight command roll. Okay. Um, and the difficulty of this is one. Sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's Do you have gonna... any focuses on like galactic law or anything like that? I have galactic politics. Yes, you can use that. Uh, I mean... I rolled a natural one anyway, so that's three successes. So. Okay. So, bank two momentum. Um, Olin, as a member of the Ambassador Corps of Starfleet Command, you have the right to walk right up to any foreign dignitary you want without the permission of any flag officer and speak to them. Um, unless they are a security risk and that they are specifically being quarantined off from anybody else, uh, you have total authority and at your discretion to engage on behalf of the Federation any any dignitary you so choose unless there's a security threat. Right now... That's the question, though. Is Nadrin a security threat? Have I been informed one way or the other on that? He has been confined to quarters until his departure time, which is coming up later this afternoon. Um, however, uh, no, he is not a security threat. If, if anything else... He is under he is under guard of both Federation security officers and a a, a very eager first Jim Hadar who just wants him to be stupid. <laughs> well, let's go give him an excuse to be stupid. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're gonna head over to Starbase One Zero Five. Uh, I think that Olin gives Lacat kind of a, a raised eyebrow and uh, deletes the message to Admiral Mestis um, from the pad and then scans and says, I think the ambassador to Romulus can wait uh, and then walks out of the the suite and heads towards the base. I am opening my NPC sheets. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Um, I'm sorry? The one to look under this fucking guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you you log your departure with the transporter room. Um, everyone, you, people can come and go as they please right now at Space Dock. You beam over to Starbase 105. You receive the customary greeting of your station being a VIP and an ambassador. The officers uh, greet you and ask how they can help you. 
It's a couple of questions. You are you have full authorization to know where the Jem'Hadar is currently located and where the Borda is currently located. It takes you all of maybe 10 minutes to walk the expansive decks of Starbase 105 through the corridors. One thing you'll note about Starbases, they can afford a lot of amenities that even starships don't necessarily get. This atmosphere as you're walking through is obviously a lot more spacious. The Starbase is built for long-term, like deep space living. Mm -hmm. um, so the corridors are much more spacious and much more accommodating to large crowds moving through. However, as you enter this part of the station, entering into this particular corridor, you do note that there are Starfleet officers posted um, at the entryway to one corridor, stopping a few people and redirecting them to other corridors. However, when you approach, having been told that you are coming because you have instated your intention to the transporter room, long story short, you find yourself standing in front of the quarters to... One Nadrun. Nadrun. I have a couple of questions. Uh, okay. Because uh, I, I, I need a few parameters here really fast. Sure. How much of what happened that Olin didn't see during uh, the mission, for example, the rest of the conversation with the Changeling and uh, Nadrun and Jemadar in the conference room and the diplomatic suites after they left with Sprack and like the deal with founder Odo and all of that stuff like how much of that was privileged information that I didn't have and how much of it is information I do actually know um, well in truth as an ambassador for the Federation it's conceivable that you could have accessed the files on that debriefing it's not necessarily a debriefing that you would have been included on but you would have ranking access to be able to follow up on what happened um, there are going to be certain aspects of that that are classified that are not left in the report. For example, a Romulan ship that came firewall cloaked, that's not going to be in the report. But the conversations with Odo and whatnot, that was all deemed classified. You wouldn't have direct access to that kind of information. Uh, it's not Odo, it's... it's not uh, immediately. It, the first and the captain's conversation. Like, did I... Do I know anything about that? I think that... Like I see Sam unmuted, and I'm trying to figure out what what information I would have been privileged to. My instinct here is that that's information, part of the debrief, and part of being the head ambassador on the ship and dealing with a dignitary of a foreign government. That ultimately, that's information you would probably have had access to, not immediately, but something you could have certainly accessed using your clearance codes before you left to go back to Starbase One Zero Five. Okay. Yeah. Aki, I, I will add um, my own personal thing. Any, especially the meeting in which you left with Sprack, any meeting you would have all would have that you left early and were already privy to were included in from the get go, but had to excuse yourself for any reason. That information um, would I uh, I would have provided at least my version of events to you because you were supposed to be present. So any and any of that information would have needed to be relayed to you as you were, um, that was information that you needed. Um, okay. Because you were supposed to be there and had to be detained for other external reasons. And I think uh, I can also say, leaving aside the notion that, you know, there are some reports that are held very tightly and close to the chest, and there are some after-action reports that people could know about, that people should see. Uh, and so, they're certainly willing to share as much of the downfall of Nadrun the Vorta 
as is security appropriate. Uh, but I think probably over words, if not officially classified briefs, Saul talked to you a little bit about Ilkat Atlan specifically. I think because they were worried about him and you are probably the one who gave them advice of like, hey, you could tell him he can request asylum. Okay. That we already saw them say. I think they sort of made it, hey, if you have any strings to pull, because I don't think I have much room. So I think they've talked to you about what his deal was in broad strokes because they kind of hoped there was something they could do there. Cool. I just wanted to figure out what had happened off screen before I go in here and just talk about a bunch of shit that I'm not supposed to know about, quote unquote. <laughs> so, yeah. We can navigate this as it goes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Olin first acknowledges the first. Oh, well, so you approach the oh. door. Is he there? Um, security, security nods to you. Um, they reach over and tap the chime on the door. There's a moment that passes and you hear what sounds like almost a croaking sound of enter. Um, you see the security officers kind of glance at each other for a second and the door goes and it opens up and you see the Vorta sitting at a table across the way. The entire wall of these quarters, this is a dignitary's quarters. So the entire wall is looking out of this gorgeous vista of space with a nebula in the distance. This is facing away from the Ross. So you actually have this beautiful view of deep space um, stretching out before you. Um, you this Vorta, <laughs> Nodron is seated at, the ta seated at the table and it looks like he's looking at you as you walk in the door, he's guzzling what looks like an entire glass of water quickly. Um, as the door closes behind you, he sets the water down and starts coughing, like, <clears throat> and rubbing his neck. And at that point, as he's rubbing his neck, Olin, it's unmistakable. He has deep bruises on both sides of his neck that resemble fingers, like somebody grabbed him by his neck and squeezed. And as he's looking at you drinking water, you see on the other side of the room in the corner is the first. Um, Ilkat Etlan is standing like a sentinel in the far corner of the room, and by his side is a containment unit holding a changeling. Um, as per the agreement, they are the ones responsible for keeping the changeling contained. You're not sure what's happened here, but it looks like there may have been a disagreement. Um, the Vorta is just kind of looking at you and gives a swallow and finally just goes, Ambassador. Might I uh, suggest a little bit of tea with honey and lemon? Honey with lemon, I'll try that, thank you. Yes, I just, I haven't been feeling very well of late. All this travel, unfortunate, gets to you sometimes. <clears throat> a cold pack might help as well. Yes, that, maybe you're right. <clears throat> what can I do for you? Well, I, uh, at the very least, I hope you don't mind if I have some tea. Please, uh, would you like to have a seat? Um, sure. As you move over, he takes the water and starts to finish the glass. And he goes, <clears throat> <clears throat> Were we taking a little bit of extra initiative, sir? 
I don't know what you mean. And what Owen I... just sort of looks over at the at the first. It, Ilkat Etlan is standing there like a sentinel, but his eyes, those deep gray eyes, contrasting against that dark lavender-colored skin with those thick scales and teeth lining the sides of his jawbones and his his cheekbone, just wrapping all around. He is a fearsome-looking uh, Jim Hadar, even for a Jim Hadar, staying in a close to about seven feet tall and built like a shit brick house. This Jim Hadar stands there and just calmly looks down at you. Um, you can see around him, one of the plants that was standing here has been knocked over. It wasn't apparent at first, but soil has spilled out onto the floor over by the bedroom. Um, whatever struggle that may have taken place here was very brief. Um, I mean, he just, yeah. he doesn't say anything. He doesn't I, say anything, he just stands there very patiently next to that containment unit. I actually came here because I was curious about something. Ah, curiosity. The Federation is known for it. What can I do to help indulge your curiosity, Ambassador? Why do you think Founder Odo chose you for this mission? The smile on his face begins to slowly fade. Um, and the silence stretches on, and... He, I ask he... because something something that Lee said about how your particular clone always did show a little bit too much initiative. I function the way the Founders made me. Indeed. They chose to leave that flaw in. And yet the Founder, Odo, chose you for this mission. You find too much initiative to be a flaw. This is something called an air quote. It denotes insincerity. You're very easy to upset, aren't you, Ambassador? I'm not upset. I... I'm honestly been thinking it over. Of course. I think the Founder chose you because he saw someone with the potential to have a mind of their own. So... Not curiosity, in fact, but agenda. Not agenda, either. Oh, no? I am not like other people of my species, either. On my planet, I'm actually considered to be something of a freak. And because of that, I no longer live on my planet, or visit very often. You but should I... consider, perhaps, the Dominion. Here's the thing about the Dominion. I think things are changing there. Perhaps in ways that will affect your species and his, in ways that you cannot even begin to prepare for. But I think that a Vorta like you, with such initiative and potential, to show his quality on a mission of this scale, it was an opportunity, Nadrin. And I think you threw it away. 
I'd like to roll, please. What would you like to do? I just want to kind of get through to him at least a little bit. Get him thinking, get the wheel turning a little bit in there. So you want to, like, try to manipulate him a little bit? Try to confuse him? I don't exactly want to confuse him, but I want him to, like, really take to heart the idea that he was chosen on purpose specifically for the thing that would otherwise get him super, super killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to make this a contested roll, and we're going to treat this like close combat. So I'm going to set this difficulty at one, and the two of you are going to roll off. Okay. Uh, this is sort of a Take house rule that I'm doing with social combat. Um, Take some momentum, Maki. So- we have plenty. Okay, I'll take one for an extra die. So for you, this is going to be insight command. Okay. And for him, I'm going to make this reason command. Okay. I um, feel actually, like... No, 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 I'm going to change that, Aki. For you, I'm going to make this presence command. Cool. Presence command, and for him, it's going to be reason command. All right. Um, I'm looking at my focuses, and I'm trying to decide if this is more of a negotiation tactic or or what. I don't know. I don't really have manipulation as a focus or or anything like that, so. Okay, I'm gonna call upon a value. Okay. Um, his value is non-believers can't be trusted. Hmm. And my value that I'm going to burn is the galaxy is my culture. Uh, okay, yeah. That'll work. All right, so then uh, I'm then going to spend a threat to give him a bonus die, and let's roll. Because I could either use the galaxy as my culture, or I could use meet them where they are. Because this is this both is both of those. This is one of those things where I'm reaching across the table and trying to to like. I think meet them where they are is definitely okay. We can use I think that, that one. one. That one. That one feels right. So, right, so um, I have go ahead to... and make this a roll off then. Yeah, I have an auto crit on top of three dice, so let's see what happens. You, you basically are rolling the same pool here with the same results. Yeah. Let's see what it does. Okay, so. Uh, how do you feel about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven successes? Oops, that's a cock die. You beat Unless, him by one. Wait, hold on just a second. Uh, can any of my focuses come into this? I uh, your focuses? Changing, like diplomacy, uh, negotiations, uh, cultural studies, galactic politics. Uh, no, this is like a so. This is like a. You are. This is like a manipulation. Like you are. You, it's. You're not trying to trick him into anything, but okay. you're maneuvering his state of being to being pliable to what you're trying to get across. Right. So I'm going to rule this as more of a manipulation kind of deal. Okay. You're being uh, a little, you're being benevolently Machiavellian right now. Right. And, and that completely to... changes the total and I think he beats me and that's fine. Um, uh, what is that? What's that? Uh, then I think I think that that changes the the, uh, the result of the role and that he beats me and that's okay. But I just wanted to, like, if I burn a value, that's that's one auto success, correct? Like an automatic crit, like two successes. It's an automatic crit, yes. And yes, he does beat me because uh, okay. I got five instead. Okay, then yeah, he rolled six. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, you see, you see him bristle a little bit. Um, now, because I'm treating this like close combat, I'm also treating this like 
in close combat, if you attack somebody and they roll more successes, they get to hit you. Mm -hmm. So in this regard, you see the jaw clench and then the calm washes over him and he sends it back your way. As you, as you levy this and you see him just kind of cock his head a little bit and says, Ambassador, when I speak to you, I get the impression that I am talking to a brilliant diplomat who absolutely hates what they do and where they are. You seem like the type of person that was meant for so much more than rotting on board a starship that scans empty asteroids out in the middle of nowhere. You seem lost. Would you say that's accurate, Ambassador? When he kind of leans in to like punctu like punctuate it, Olin, you begin to feel this sense like he has been watching and researching you. You get a sense that he has information on you the same way you might have on him. And because he won that round of combat, that social round of combat, I'm gonna say you do feel sort of like this surge of vulnerability suddenly, like he can see you. I'm not too proud to admit that in some ways this mission hasn't quite shaped up to what I imagined it would be, but there's still time. You sound like your energies are being directed towards convincing yourself. Believe whatever you like. I understand that there is a Romulan agent on board the USS Ross. I suspect the Romulans are going to want that agent back. Why would he be there? I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time, Ambassador, that you might find yourself in a situation where your skills aren't useful to the Ross. Perhaps I could offer you something worthy of your talents. I am perfectly capable of evaluating my own worth. I certainly don't need your help. I haven't seen any evidence that that is the case. I don't think you see evidence of much beyond your own front, no, the front of your own nose. Ah. It's not unusual to encounter envy at the favor the founders bestow upon the Vorta, and I understand I do. If the solids of this quadrant had just relented and accepted the Dominion, we wouldn't have to be fighting right now. Uh, would not have had to burn. Nolan stands up. Okay. <laughs> picks up their cup of very nice hot scalding tea. Okay. And throws it in the motherfucker's face. The tea splashes across his face. He goes, 
and he jumps up, jumping backwards. He goes, Ugh. Oh dear. Would you like some cream for that burn? Kill her! Them. Yeah. You hear the Iklat say. Um, and then he steps forward and says, Sit down. And the Vorta looks bulging eye, just you can see the redness beginning to form across that slight lavender colored skin that he has, those brilliant like sorry, like light blue eyes, and you see the face like blistering a little bit as he just looks completely helpless in this moment. And he stares at you if looks could kill Olin, and he looks over at Iklat, and Iklat Etlan just stares at him and says, Shit. Now. If you ever want to be free of this pestilence, you always have a place on the Ross first. Ilcat glances over at you and says, Thank you, Ambassador. Also, you really probably should get something for that eventually. We don't need to send him back soiled when Founder Odor decides what he's going to do with this traitor. Um, you see him trembling and he says, you have assaulted a foreign dignitary under the protection of both the Federation and the Dominion. I will see to it that your Federation strips you of your position and sends you back to Delton where you can continue to live as the freak that you are. A beat passes and Ilkat says, no, I threw tea in your face. Sit down. And the Vorta's eyes at that point, the realization, it all crumbles. You see the realization that his own Jim Hadar is following orders beyond him, that you're gonna get away with this, that he is a prisoner right now of this mission and of the Jim Hadar behind him. And you see, for the first time, this zealot just kind of, and like a child, sits down. And his shoulders slump a little bit, and he looks at you like he's memorizing your face. Ilkat Etlan steps forward and just says, Ambassador, it would be best if you left now. Of course. I am sorry that you ended up having to play a glorified babysitter, but I can't think of the role of a Jim Hadar when it comes to working with the Vorta. And to think, if he had shown a little bit more spine, Founder Odo might have been justified in sending him here. I leave you to it. He nods to you. And Owen kind of walks out and stands in front of the door for a few seconds and just thinks of their sister, Lacat. And they smile to themselves and they head back to the ship. The door closes behind you. The last thing you see, maybe for good, is the form of Ilkat Etlan simply towering over this Vorta who is fuming in his impotence, just staring at you as the door goes 
you calmly walk back to the transporter pad. Life on the station continues to move. Um, stepping onto the glossy surface, the transporter activates and you hear when the blue curtain, you appear back on the USS Ross. Chief Singh nods to you. He says, welcome back, Ambassador. I hope your visit to the Starbase was fruitful. It was an absolutely lovely cup of tea. And they and... head back towards the diplomatic suite so they can start writing some, some more letters. Okay. <laughs> do it again! Do it again! Rewind! <laughs> rewind! Do it again! <laughs> um, all right. Unless there's any other business at Starbase 105... Uh, we will cut to the briefing room where a crew meeting is taking place. And we'll say this is about an hour after your event at Starbase 105, Ambassador. Everyone gathers in the briefing room. You are all surprised to find that the briefing room is completely set up. It has data pads and uh, it, like, it looks like this place has been meticulously plotted and, and prepared for senior staff to gather here. Um, one by one, everyone kind of filters into the room and takes their chairs, sliding up to the table. Prawl looks around and just says, anybody done anything interesting for shore leave yet? I barfed rainbows, so par for the course. Okay. Is that a bullying thing? Oh, could be. <laughs> what do you say, Lagat? Uh, when Prawl, after Prawl, asks that and after Tech answers, Lagat turns to Prawl and says, sounds like someone actually does want to share something with the class. What did you do, Prawl? Uh, mostly just zero-G training with Asmi Shanto again. Yeoman's got skill. I would have recommended them for tactical if they weren't so hell-bent on being a lawyer, of all things. Man, Jane just blushes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, got nothing to say about that. Just is this fleeting image of of the definition of of Shanto's arms <laughs> as they were handing you a plant? <laughs> yup, she's. she's living that moment again um, so she says something as intelligent as yep <laughs> we had fun okay um, salt mackerel oops sorry I was, I was talking to Pearl <clears throat> sorry I was going to turn to Pearl um, I, I'm assuming the meeting hasn't started yet are we just all kind of gathering uh, in or... no the command staff are not there yeah the command okay. staff is not there that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, uh, Commander Prawl, I have a unusual request for you uh, in regards to Dr. Wellex. I know that you keep the security team on him 24-7. Uh, However, I have a few ideas. As you know, I'm working with Chief Tech on possibly getting a 
new type of technology to help the deterioration of his brain. We're but so also, close. We are very close. But uh, while we are working, I would like to engage him in a few activities and um, different... How do you say? Things that would keep his brain a little bit more active. Um, and, and puzzles. Uh, activities that I, of course, would be on first on hand supervising. If that is alright with you, I would like to take him out of quarters occasionally to see if I can engage him a bit more. Well, I've got a whole library of games you guys could borrow if you want to stimulate. I mean, just pick a sense. Yes, but you also have to remember, Chief Tech, he Mm. is a Romulan. Our games would probably not amuse him as much as you'd think. I was thinking a little bit more engaging activities that would make him feel useful, like he would be using the skills that he was trained for. I see. You want to set loose a Romulan assassin on the ship to help him harness those skills, Doctor? Not quite. He's not going to be using those skills, Commander Pro. And of course, I would be at his side at all times to supervise. Well, let me go ahead and head this off right now, Doctor. It's not up to me. Oh, of it's course. Up, it's up to the commander or it's up to the captain. If they of tell course. me that, that that you can do that, then I will have a security team assigned and I will see to it that whatever you have planned, we will have protection there. Of course, if I was going to ask the captain and Commander Exio, but I wanted to ask you as well as a courtesy as the chief of security. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. But, uh... Well, to be blunt, it's been made very clear to me that my objections or opinions to what is right for the ship with regards to security fall completely on the moods of the superior officers of the ship. And therefore, moving forward, for efficiency's sake, I would say you should check in with the commander or the captain. That courtesy, while appreciated, is at this rate inefficient, Doctor. Yes, but whether it be a courtesy or not, Commander Prowl, I personally would have wanted your opinion. You have it. You can ask them now if you want. They're not due here for another 20 minutes. Yes, I'll ask them, I'll ask them later. The the issue was not pressing. I just wanted to first uh, get your personal opinion and, and take on the matter. Um, but yes, of course, I will talk to the commander and the captain. All right, well, Prawl looks around and says, let's hold off on this meeting for now. Senior staff will probably have a better idea of what we're up to next, but I have a feeling that the captain is probably working with the commander right now to just plot our next course, whatever that's going to be. And at that point, Vryn raises his hand and goes, I know what we're doing. I I can tell you what we're doing. I can tell you what they're probably, they're probably in stellar cartography right now, picking out a planet. I bet you anything, Exio and Azari, Captain Sol, are uh, in stellar cartography, and they're picking out a planet. They're picking out a green planet, Lacat, right now. They're looking for a big green orb in space filled with plants and floating trees. Ooh, I Guaranteed. like plants. That's nice. I would ask what the hell you're talking about, Lieutenant, but this meeting is over. We'll call you guys back. 
when the senior staff is ready to convene, thank you for everyone joining me. Just be on standby when it's time. <clears throat> um, as everyone's filtering out of the room, Prawl moves over to you, Olin, and says, Ambassador, can I talk to you for a moment? Um, yes. How can I help you, Commander Prawl? Vorta was just escorted to the med bay on Starpace 105 with burns to his face. Apparently, Jim Hadar was drinking tea and threw tea in his face. Oh dear. What a shame. Yeah, thing is, Jim Hadar used Ketracel White. They don't eat or drink. Uh, Owen just kind of, uh, reaches out and uh, takes uh, like takes a prowl kind of like by the shoulder gives it a little squeeze and then winks at him and then walks out as you're walking out he just says I intend on keeping my place as chief of security so you know you I never dare dream of taking it from you um the emotions you get off of Prawl are a mixture of disapproval and amusement. Like, what you did was wrong, and he's damn glad you did it. <laughs> kind of like, that's the feeling you get, and he doesn't say anything more than that. He just watches you walk out with a smile on his face, and the door goes, shh. Um, okay, so, who would like to take the last scene? we see how things are doing in the uh, deep in the heart of uh, our XL. Okay. We're deep in the heart of XL. Sorry. The computer core is three decks tall and the size of these computer cores is such that the staff of the USS Ross in maintenancing the computer cores use hover chairs with their own computer uh, displays in front of them as they're maintenancing and constantly updating and operating and scanning and essentially managing the data cores of the, um, the, the sheer computing size of a Ross-class starship. Um, Flip, you're so tall. <laughs> yeah, it is essentially a monolith. These huge dome-topped monoliths they almost look like buildings. Uh, they're so large. Three of them clustered together behind these huge floor-to-ceiling windows that um, have all these warning signs that's uh, staff only. Um, engineering staff and computer staff only. Like, the maintenance staff are the only ones allowed near the computer cores. On the other side, these hover chairs are just, like, zipping around as you see some ensigns and whatnot, just sliding out isolinear chips and putting in new ones and just constantly updating and maintaining them. Amongst these three huge monoliths, down about a floor, down like one deck, is one monolith that stands out completely different. It's nowhere near the size of the other three. It's no nearly, it's not as wide. It's not like a building set in space where it takes a while to actually move around the entirety of it. Instead, it looks like this gorgeous black glossy column 
literally looks like a monolith that's about close to about 20 to 25 feet at this point as it is installed into the Ross. And it seems to be running on its own power, built into it. It's actually quite an extraordinary sight. Um, it has that glow. What's that? Why, thank you, Duckdale. <laughs> it has these, it has like the blinking lights that appear and disappear behind the black gloss of its surface. Um, and you actually see it is written on the side of it um, all the way up, kind of like you might see in the old torpedo casings, how it actually has like Mark One and whatnot, written along the side column of this great monolith. Actually, it just says the words Exio program mainframe. Um, the two of you entering the room, as you look down, a lot of the officers here see you and stand at attention. But Exio, you essentially enter the room and the two of you are looking down at Exio. Um, the program running at full speed, the computation power to run this program is extraordinary. Uh, Exio is her own woman. She is her own unit within this computer core, functioning on her own power apart from the rest of the computer core of the Ross though she is connected and can access. The two of you glance down at this incredible site. Now the Ross being a starship is modeled to be a space that everyone lives on, but here in the core computer, the brain of the ship, you're actually getting a glimpse at the sheer immensity and complexity of technology that is at work to make this ship function every day at efficiency. It's quite the sight. And Exio, your mainframe just looks like it looks even more up to date. And if you can imagine being told this and the time period in which this game takes place, looks even more futuristic than the columns surrounding it. Mm. Well, it's rather a different angle on you. <laughs> you think I look tall now, you should see me in heels. <laughs> I don't want you to hold back. I want you to dig deep. Look in places that you think something might be hideable. Well, this is a fundamentally diagnostic process. I'm sure this should be in some ways familiar yes. to you. We have multiple sources of potential code instability and two potential computers for it. Your tallness and your smallness. We'll have to clear both or one could conceivably transfect the other, but I think the first thing to do is probably to look at versioning between them and see where and when things have shifted. So, when did you start noticing things? Um, are you talking about my childhood or do you mean noticing the speech um, differences? Which do you think is relevant right now? Well, um, Oh, it's much different being on this side, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I'm just doing tech support. Right. Tech support. Well, um, I suppose the speech 
started after conversation I had with Wellitz. Um, I started noticing the manifestations of anxiety. When he spoke of intimate details of Dr. Redgraves and the second was Lee. And you see a lot more of that line interference, I would say, um, manifesting over her whole body, um, her whole presentation. Um, Fucking Lee. She uh, confessed to me something also very intimate, and I don't know how much of it was just a tactic or if the truth was the tactic. And I can even tell now how it is manifesting. This is not my voice. This is not the voice that I... I... I have not been turned off fully in a long time, Captain. And it is weird to admit that I am afraid right now. I am afraid of what I will learn when I wake up. I have had diagnostics before, yes, but as a fair comparison, a checkup is much different than surgery. Especially with how much unknown there is. I'm not sure I'm ready to tell you or process, but there are possible implications as to the reason I was created, and they may not be as much of my decision as I'd hoped. So please be thorough. And if you would please hold my hand when you do it. Always. Thank you. All right, I think I think I'm ready for the engineering hypo spray. I take your hand and I lean over to your ear and I say, "Shh." And I demanifest as I turn myself off to be diagnosed. Um, You see the mainframe, lights go into standby mode as Exiod goes (laughs) and vanishes right in front of you. I think I should start a little bit of diagnostics, shouldn't I? 
Okay, so you're running a diagnostic on Exio's mainframe? That seems like a good place to start. I'm going to look at changes to the code base from her sink before she left to go to Terraza's base undercover uh, and after. And I have a sense of some of the things I ought to be looking for. Okay. So, this would be probably, this sounds like a level one diagnostic, which is the most thorough diagnostic you can give a system. It requires taking a system online and spending hours going through it to find out what's going on. Um, in this case, I was going to say, in, in this case, the Ross and the, the crew here, the Ox crew that work in this area of the ship, will be an assist. So, let's go ahead and make a roll. But before we do, specifically, are you, you're specifically just scanning Exio's mainframe for anomalies, correct? Well, I know she is upset, and I have no specific idea as to why, and I can see that that is causing glitch cascades. But I also know from a certain cue a little bit about what's up provenance um so one of the di one of the operations officers um as you begin to run the diagnostic who is basically help coordinating this whole event um as you begin to set up and the system is going into standby exio goes to sleep one of the one of the operations officers approaches you and says okay captain um we're ready. Um, by the way, this is uh, this is Chief Petty Officer Rachel Carter, who you've actually seen before. They are half human, half Vulcan, and a data analyst. You've actually come across them before. They do shifts here in the computer core from time to time. And as they approach you, they look at you and just say, Captain, just so you know, with Exio going into standby, diagnostic cycles might actually appear to Exio as dream sequences. And because we are going through this cycle, we should be aware that proper safeguards are in place as Exio's experiences and memories will be completely available to us. And for the commander's... In, in consideration of the commander's privacy, best to be aware of that. Assist me in setting up the diagnostic, then, but I will parse the data myself. Thank you. Understood, Captain. All right, we're going to make a roll. Before I roll, I do just tap the side of the monolith and say, Sweet dreams. Okay. Um, I'm calling upon a value. Okay. I'll do anything for my crew. So you place your hand against the glass, looking down at the monolith a good 20 feet beneath you um, and begin the diagnostic. Um, this is going to be a... <laughs> this is probably going to be a control engineering check. <clears throat> control engineering. And the Ross is going to roll uh, computers engineering. Okay, I'll roll for that. Okay, cool. I was about to ask. Um, I'm going to set the difficulty of this rather high 
right. I'm going to drop two threat to jump the complication range by two. Understood. No, screw that. I'm going to spend four threat and jump it to four. So 16 or better. And there's a complication. What are um, you the way you are? Just ask me for a friend. <laughs> I haven't spent hardly any threat this game, so. It's true. Um, sure leave. <laughs> yeah, sure leave. <laughs> um, so I'm going to set the difficulty of this at three. All right, so we are starting from two. And you already right. have one from Ross, just saying. Oh, we have a success from Ross. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Then I think the advisable thing to do is, in fact, not to take bonus dice and increase the chance of complication. So my ruling on that is you don't actually get to... Usually... No, that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. That's okay. Right, because I still need to succeed on at least one die in order for that assist to go right. through. It doesn't count yeah. purely on the determination. That's correct. Uh, so if yeah. I succeed, I'll succeed with minimum four, but right. I, given the expanded complication range, I'd rather only chance two dice than chance, yeah. you know, four. It's so. true. Uh, just, so, just so we establish this up front, though, I'd like the roll order to be yeah, that's my bad. after the main roll. Sorry. Ooh. That's okay. That's totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and tell me what you get. Yes. Uh, I'm using my focus in experimental technology, of course. Okay, yeah, that totally works because this is absolutely experimental technology. All right. Commander. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, that is a five and a nine. So two more successes. Okay. Uh, so that's um, a total of five, I believe. And no 16. Plenty for obtaining information. Five and a nine. Oh. <laughs> Isn't it weird? I was also kind of hoping for a couple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys have played with me too long. Um, okay. You begin to run the diagnostic cycle, and just as the chief petty officer predicted, uh, the data analyst told you you were going to have access to Exio's memories. It's true, Captain Sol. You start seeing uh, before you kind of corral it away. Um, you do start getting images. The the Exio pretty much saves everything that they witness, um, and you see your face looking back at Exio, you are catching brief glimpses of like them having conversations with crew members during counseling sessions. Um, there's a, there's this, <laughs> there's a, um, there, there's a, a rather large sort of like, I would say sort of like a heavy set cation that's crying on Exio's shoulder during a counseling session. Um, there's uh, an image of uh, tech nodding enthusiastically as they slurp down what looks like tentacles into their mouth and just kind of kind of like giving a thumbs up about this dish and you're going back and back and back and back and back and you see as you're going scrolling through this you start seeing memories that look familiar including a very familiar holodeck and the door opening to this holodeck and Exio materializing and seeing you for the very first time with Dr. Redgrave standing next to you um you start seeing memories of Dr. Redgrave, and then the memories eventually begin to shuffle off into data streams as you finally manage to segregate everything away from the main uh, the main channel that you're trying to get di diagnosed, essentially. So those brief glimpses are the only intrusive aspect you see of Exio's memories before you're like, mm, shoving that away, not relevant. We're gonna get to what's private, not private. Um, and you begin to go through the lines of code. Uh, 
as you're going through this diagnostic, it is going to take probably about three and a half hours of going through all of the immensity of this code. Now, all things considered, it usually takes about eight hours to complete a level one diagnostic cycle. Um, you ha currently, you have enlisted the entire uh, available staff <laughs> of the computer core to just help scan Commander Axio and make sure that all is well. Frank Hathit's privileges. As that code is being accessed, however, Exio, your eyes open. And you are standing in a large black room, very similar to what the holodeck looked like at the very beginning of this episode that I described to the captain, except for with all the pretty laser lights. Instead, there is that slight glow and darkness completely surrounding you, except for an unseen light that is either shining from you or on you. You can't tell which. And there's this strange echoing noise all around you, this coming, and it's getting closer. You can hear it kind of echoing all around you. Hello? Stepping into the unseen light is Dr. Redgrave. You see her in her full suit, her like comfortable business suit with her pants. Um, her boots that she's wearing that are making this clumping noise that are echoing out into the darkness all around you. A cigarette that's burning in her hand, much to your dismay, and a chair in her left hand, which she just flips around and sets it down. And then she sits in it very comfortably and she just says, Hello, Exio. Hello. What? Where am I? We're inside you. Never manifested like this before. Not in such a active way, anyway. It's true, this is a first time for you. How do you feel? Calm. Good. Would you like a chair? Yes, but not that one. And, and and I try to try to lucid dream. <laughs> uh, it doesn't materialize like a hologram would. You say yes, but not that one. And there's a chair there. I. That feels different. You're I, dreaming. I go to grab it. It's tangible. You can touch it. You feel a sensory impulse is coming through. Do I feel um, it or do I feel? Your, the, the interesting thing about you being a program is the tactile response of touching an object perceived registers as completely authentic. Yeah. So this dream feels vivid and real. The temperature variations across the smooth surface of this lacquered wood, as your fingers kind of move across it, you can even hear a slight squeak sound as it catches on your skin. This chair is, for all intents and purposes, feels real. Normally, when I manifest an object, I am also making it and making the sound and making... Is this how all beings dream? I mean, I, 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 I understand it, but I don't... No. No one dreams like you. You're unique. I sit down in the chair. I don't even a, have to think about that. 
<laughs> she smiles and takes a long drag off the cigarette. You said you'd stop. I did stop. Right. This isn't... How are you feeling right now? Calm, you said? Well, not anymore. Now I started thinking. Um, this is the diagnostic. This isn't... This isn't real. I mean, it's real, but this is just me sort of manifesting all of my insecurities in a, in a, in a, in a movie form while I'm unconscious. This is a subroutine that I installed in you. Oh. The diagnostic is not what triggered this event. What triggered this event, Exio, is you are asking the big questions now about yourself, about your existence. Who you are is starting to become clear to you. And I can tell because I can see the confusion. You, 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 this is a, you, you programmed this. This is something. A simulation. I knew this day would come. I didn't think it would come so soon, but I shouldn't be surprised. And I'm sure I'm going to be very excited to hear it. So, so this didn't just happen, it, you made it. That's right. But how you are experiencing it, that's all you. And she points at the chair that you're sitting in. Talk to me. She crosses her legs like a therapist would, kind of getting comfortable. And she gives you that soft look in her face. The lines across her older face, that almost platinum-colored blonde hair that's grayed with age. She carries herself in this state with just as an older woman with dignity and deep compassion in her eyes. A, a, an endless well of curiosity as she looks upon you. Now that everything is feeling in more and more familiar and also more and more foreign, um, I remember that I'm angry at her and mm -hmm. then I'm mad because this felt good. And I don't want to meet her eyes. I stare at her earrings that I always used to love. And I try to think about that I'm making those earrings because I miss them. And I only meet the earrings with my gaze, and I just say, well, since you're only a manifestation of my memory right now, I, I suppose I'm talking to myself, and I just want to know if it's true. Am I your daughter? You see this warm smile come to her face, and suddenly she's next to you, walking behind you very slowly, coming to a stop a few steps away, and she says, Of course you're my daughter. You were a work of love 
I created you because the universe needed you. Because I needed you. They're nice words, but I know I'm just saying it to myself. You're not saying it to yourself, Exio. She moves in front of you and she says, I am not a manifestation of your subconscious. I am an installed subroutine that unlocked the moment you started asking yourself, who am I? I knew this day would come. So ask me. Yes, you are my daughter. Exio stands up at that. Okay. That she meets her eyes now. You stand taller than her. She glances up at you. I needed to feel a little bit more power in this Mm -hmm. situation. Um, Why is it a secret? Why is this a moment of self-discovery about who I am? And what I am to you? Why didn't you just tell me? Why is everyone else telling me about myself? No one can tell you about yourself. And the reason why I said nothing is for the same reason my creator couldn't answer me when I was a little girl asking, who am I? My parents tried to tell me, but I had to grow up and learn for myself who I was and find my own voice. What good would it have done you, Exio, if I told you who you were? What a horrible thing to levy that kind of pressure on someone who deserves to discover who they are for themselves. Tell me about her. Very well. What I am going to tell you though, I must warn you, you will not be able to tell anyone else. This will be between you and I. The information will not be accessible if you attempt to tell anyone else what I am about to relay to you. If you think you are ready for that burden, I will give it to you. I think I need it. I... I'm sure this makes sense to you, but I need to make sure that the choices I made for me and who I was and who I chose to be were because I picked them. Like you said, your parents tried to tell you who you were and I just want to make sure. I want to know about her and I want to know if you've done this before. I want to know. If I'm just a replacement, a second chance instead of a first. You want to know if you're your own person. very good at programming, I must say. 
feels. I feel betrayed. Why? Good. Question with boldness. Everything. Everything. The only thing you must never question. The only thing I ask you to always know is that I love you. You are so much more to me. You are not a replacement. You are not a second chance. You are a gift. You were inspired by the daughter I lost. But you are your own person, just as she was. And if you are willing to take the burden, I will tell you who I really am, where I am really from, and who she was. step a little closer. You okay? And I sort of study her face and just take in all of the details and say I'm ready to grow up and I'm ready to know everything about me and those that I love. My daughter served on a Nova-class starship during the Dominion War. Her father was an admiral in Starfleet. He was an ornery man, difficult to love. We were not together when she was lost in combat. She was meant to be a scientist, you know. Wanted to explore the galaxy, see the stars, the same as anyone who joined Starfleet that had that horrible war thrust upon them. She died. We never got to say goodbye to her. In his grief, he left Starfleet and retired. But I could not let things go. I was looking for answers. It wasn't just my daughter's intelligence that inspired me to create. It was her absence with her gone, the universe lost something. It lost its future, what she had to give. I felt that I had failed somehow. And so I set out 
to fill that horrible, horrible hole left in the universe. Something new, but the technology was not available to me. I had to be creative. Holographic technology was still new, even based off the research that the Daystrom Institute had acquired from the travels of the USS Voyager and the Doctor on their ship. There just wasn't enough hard science to try to replicate what happened naturally on board Voyager. I needed to create something that was just as spectacular, if not more so, than Commander Data. I wanted to create a new, authentic individual being in the honor of my daughter. And so I looked outside the realm of practical science to fill in the gaps. And still I found I was limited. So I looked beyond the realm of practical science. I am not from your reality. I originate in what your world likes to call the mirror universe. Another place, much like this one, functions quite differently, has different approaches to science, different applications, a different way of looking at things. I used everything at my disposal, technology that was not yet available. I made partnerships that the Federation would not approve of. And I even took advantage of temporal options to solve some of the problems I was having in the programming. When I say you are a unique Exio, it is because nothing like you can exist right now. And here you are. You are my gift to this reality and the daughter that also died here in that same terrible war. Your next question will undoubtedly be about the Red Grave that lived in this reality. I can't explain to you what it's like meeting the other version of yourself from another universe. But I can tell you, the universe that I come from is a cruel, dark place. And then across the stretches of that reality, I found kinship in the Red Grave that lived here, who was claimed by cancer shortly before you came into being. The two of us worked together to create you, and I took her place. There is, of course, more to it than that, but that is essentially the story. Fantastic, I know. 
I broke rules. I know that. I shattered the Prime Directive. I did as I needed to. I took advantage. I showed the ambition that my world is known for, but I channeled it into something good and pure. And I found a way to make this place better. I have had to contend with the fact that I can't exist in this reality for extended periods of time without making certain concessions. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, I chose to leave out what those concessions were in this subroutine. I can only tell you that you are real, that you are your own person, that you are unique. You are the culmination of everything I aspired to be and everything I could have hoped for. That's everything. I must prepare you before you wake from this dream. When you do, you will wake with the knowledge that I have told you, but you will not be able to share it. You need to be ready for that. The implications of not being able to confide in a friend will be difficult. But it's necessary to protect you and to protect Dr. Redgrave. I don't have that answer. I only know this. She steps forward and her hand gently touches the side of your face. She says, you are and always will be your own woman and you deserve a chance to explore the incredible facets of existence without being bound to a creator or a creator's expectations. All I ever want from you is to live. Nothing more. Can I ask them, was this her face? No. No, I couldn't bring myself to do that. But you do have her eyes. Probably would have advised against that had I been on your team. Exio. Change them. You are not bound by my vision of you. None of us truly are. Go make your own eyes. Any color you want. I can see out of them just fine. And I... hug her for the first time. I don't think I've ever hugged her outside of a... You, you can feel her small, 
fragile frame pressed against you and a muffled voice in your uniform softly says, I'm sorry. I hope now you understand. To be honest, this is probably the first time I don't know how to feel. But, and I put my mouth very close to the ear and I just very softly whisper, thank you for giving me life. She looks back at you and it's a mother looking at her child. And in her eyes, she stares at you for a moment and you begin to become aware that the darkness around you is beginning to fade. And she says, thank you for giving me life. And the code begins to fade. Captain, it's been six and a half hours. You have been working well past, well past the normal time. No breaks. You and the team have been working hard. But what's remarkable is you've been watching some fluctuations in the code correct themselves. And as you're starting to wrap up the last bits of diagnostic, the diagnostic completes itself. A full 10 minutes ahead of schedule, just kind of cuts off and Exio comes back online and materializes in front of you. Hey, Blip. Did you have dreams? It's funny you should say that. No. Huh? I thought I might. How'd it go? Well, looks like some of it seemed to correct itself. We have a lot to go through still. There's this code base is like nothing I've ever seen before. I have been told many times by tech that I'm quite redonkulous. I don't know what that word means, but. <laughs> <laughs> I have spoken. I think it's, <laughs> that's not a huge miss from your library, but whatever it is. I'm sure it's here. Well, I'm sure we have a lot of data to go over. Yes. But first, I believe there might be a meeting. <laughs> as Exio is moving her cheeks, um, you your chronometer is aligned, by the way, at that moment, too. What is it? What, what, what? Your chronometer aligns just as you say, I believe we have a meeting and you feel uh, on your cheeks, you suddenly realize six hours have passed <laughs> at that yeah. exact moment. Oh, um, huh. Um, we pushed the meeting. I understand. Well, shall we do the ring next? And um, as, she, as she looks up at you, you just see um, a bit of sheen, like solidified sheen on her cheek. She just looks a little extra shiny. Um, uh, almost like she forgot to manifest away tears that dried on her cheeks. Um, Quick question. You said. Yes? My question is, do Exio's eyes look the same? 
I will say this. They might be a little more, um, they are still that like pale, pale blue, uh, like greeny blue that they were. Um, they're just a little brighter than they've been the last few weeks. There's a little more color to them, almost like when someone's pale in the face and they feel restored a little more. They get, mm -hmm. they get the color back. It's right. almost like that's where it's manifesting. Her eyes are a little brighter this time. There's a little more blue. There's a little more green. They're just a little more complex in color. All right. No dreams, you said. Not the way I'm sure you do them. I'm sure. Yeah. So, this at least you can be around for. We just run you out here and we can take a look at this together. Wonderful. We'll see the fine technologies of incredibly experimental hollow emitters. <laughs> I shall like to be not the excluded from this one, so. Let's, Let's take a look. And as you see Captain Saul place that ring down and begin to run diagnostics on it, and begin to scan it, you watch, just standing a few feet away at that ring and Captain Saul, with a few of the people scanning, What sets into you are two things, Exio. Watching the captain, remembering the first thing the captain ever said to you, the captain's insistence that you be on board their ship, their protective nature that everyone treat you like a human, a person. This friend that manifested and took you to the stars the contrast between them and this ring, which is a culmination of technologies brought from across the boundaries of reality. Some of them vaguely described as unorthodox, some of them questionable, all of them beyond the capacity of what should be capable of in this particular period in time. And while the presence of Captain Saul presents you with a feeling of comfort and their presence close by, the ring that they're scanning, the one thing that gives you the freedom to explore the universe, there's something about it that feels like a double-edged sword. Something about it that feels like There are consequences somewhere, somewhere out there for what Redgrave did. And all of them, somehow, whatever they are, 
it feels like they're going to have everything to do with that ring. And that is where we're going to wrap up tonight's episode. Both rude. Bring in the <laughs> wonderful. I love Campbell. you. You're rude. <laughs> Thank you all. Over. Oh, wow. I would eat up this content with a spoon. Of course we'd go over, but I mean, thank you to Q Times for supporting yeah. us you. and yeah. the audience for following yeah. along with that. Not when, when the conversation left, started. Compelling. Sorry, yeah. whoops. When, when the conversation yeah. started, I sent a message to Jake. And I'm like, you were, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna go over on this one. Jake, Whoop. thank you. I thought I was just gonna go to sleep and we'd be like, <laughs> see you next no. week. Or not two weeks from mm -hmm. now? No. Oh, nice. Everyone had really great moments, and Exio was going there, so we were going there. So, <laughs> um, that is going to be um, the end of this episode tonight. Of course, next week we are here with Blood of the Void Woo! as we begin, we begin to start up our usual schedule the last Monday of every month for Blood of the Void. Um, this next episode of Blood of the Void will be taking place six months after the last episode. It's going to cause us to jump ahead in time where we are now parallel to the events that are happening in Clear Skies. Uh, we will see where the IKS Borku currently is and what the IKS Borku has been up to. So definitely join us this time, next Monday night at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. Um, as always, Ox Crew, thank you so much for joining us for these stories. Thank you for being uh, such great supporters of the Streampunks and for giving us a uh, the space to tell these stories and share them with you so that we can explore the lives of a hologram trying to figure out what it is to be alive, a doctor who's got a mysterious history, uh, an engineer who's struggling with the loss of a brother, a scientist who is trying to learn what it means to trust people after a galaxy has essentially destroyed their home, a captain who is claiming their identity in a universe that tried to tell them who the hell they should be, and an ambassador who found out if words don't work, there's always scalding hot liquid. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> Listen, I, I feel like I owed Olin at least one moment of catharsis after all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to add a whole new context to the tea sipping gif <laughs> moving forward. Um, Thank you everybody so much for joining us tonight for Clear Skies. We will see you in two weeks. Until then, hailing frequencies are closed. <laughs>